Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Do you know the way some people get very upset when they hear of the passing of an old a soccer star or a rugby star or a ga star from years ago. I am sad this morning to hear of the passing of Willie Thorne being a massive snooker fan and I know that uh, my my buddy and colleague Wayne Hilton will be equally upset to hear the passing of uh, Willie Thorne. May he rest in peace. 1850-715-996 is the number the text to the WhatsApp 083-396-9696 and the email for the show opinion at 96fm.ie We're on Twitter at OpinionLine96 Give us a follow and our hashtag is hashtag OL96 and should you want to contact us through Facebook you can do so on the Cork's 96FM Facebook page and just send us a message and mark it if you can for the attention of the opinion line. We got some calls there before 9 o'clock apparently there's lots of green, white and gold flags hanging out the windows. A load of them around Balifahan apparently (laughs) Now whoever was on the phone was wondering was it an army council directive what? He'd love to hear from someone who has one up and why they have it up. I'm trying to rack my brains as to why people put green, white and gold flags up in the middle of June and I can't think of one other than the fact that you might want to display it. But apparently there's loads of them around Ballyfahan. If anybody knows or can shed any light of that, give us a call at 1850-715-996. Right, you can go to the pub, lads, after the 29th of June. You can go to some pubs. The pubs have to be open as restaurants. And you have to spend nine quid on food. So a cheese toasty, well, if you get chips with it, it might come to nine quid. But a cheese toasty won't be okay to have with chips. You have to have about nine quid, at least nine quid's worth of food, which means nine packets of potatoes. I don't think that'll be the same thing. Um, maybe if you've got a few slices of buttered bread and bread sandwiches for yourself. I, I don't, don't know. I don't know. Where does all this come from? Well, according to Paul Hayden from Falch, Ireland, it dates back to the 60s. This is as defined by the Intoxicating Liquor Act in 1962. So that's the legislation that is in place. The guidance there is it defines a substantial meal uh, and puts a value in it. So again, uh, most businesses would understand that aspect of it. Now, there was no, no euros in 1962, so they've decided that nine euros, you'll have to spend nine euros on food to go to the pub after June the 29th. Oh, yeah, and also you can only stay an hour and a half, uh, and that's the payback for cutting it from two metres to one metre. It all sounds a bit crazy. Peter Collins from Barry's and Douglas. Peter, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Can you work with that, or is it even, is it even worth thinking about? 
Ah, uh, we will work with anything. We're, we're just so looking forward to reopening on the 29th. Um, I have to say, PJ, before we go any further, though, that these are live. Uh, I think they use the word a live document. So at the moment, uh, there is nothing changed from the two-metre uh, rule. Um, there's this Health Service Pr- Protection Surveillance Unit uh, has come out with these uh, uh, draft documents to Falch Ireland, who our body liaises with. Um, so it's all talk at the moment, and there is nothing actually there that has changed as of now. I'm down in Barry's at the moment with the lads and we're setting our, our stall out uh, for the 29th for the two metre rule as it stands. Um, if it changes down to one metre, we, we will roll with that uh, immediately. Now you have but, a fine big bar as anybody knows it, but yeah, I mean, two metres, that's going to reduce your capacity. It is, and it, it's, I suppose, see, look, we, we, we would prefer to have, have um, you know, a, a less strict uh, level of, of, of guidelines there. Um, but look, we're very lucky in Barry's. We have a big, big space. We we can handle very good numbers still. We'll have an outdoor area. Our car park will be will be closed off for a little period, and we have outdoor seating. Uh-huh. So, um, you know, look, we're very lucky. Uh, some of my other colleagues won't be, and you know, I I, I feel it's it's a bit unfair that that um, one place could open and another place can't. And, you know, we need business all around us. Uh, and I would be, you know, I would be very much for uh, reducing the, the two metre down. What do you make of this nine euro thing, Peter? Okay, so again, look, that, that's all notional. That, that we Again, we've no guidelines on that. As it stands, we have to, uh, um, the little piece you ran there um, about the 62 uh, Liquor Act. It's the old substantial meal. I think you and I will remember that from our old nightclub days. Now, come on, that was a scoop yeah. of curry and rice. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where that actually comes from, that that, that, that phrase, substantial meal, uh, still haunts me to, 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 to this day. Um, but yeah, so look, we, we know we, we can't open uh, as a pub. We're opening as a restaurant, and uh, with a substantial meal, you can consume uh, liquor. Will I have to buy my dinner if I want to have a pint? Is that the holy all of it? Yes, that's the absolute. There's no way I can pop in, sit down, no. and say like a pint, please. No, not 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 at the moment. You are not yes. allowed to serve me a pint. In fact, correct. And and you know, again, we 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 would like to see that lifted look you know i think people have been very good and you know uh, the you know so proud of how people have behaved uh, through this terrible crisis um and you know things are, are starting to ease up i think the sensibility will still be there people will still be cautious but i think you know an easing of the, the very strict uh, enforcement our guidelines that, that that have been forced on us um you know should be looked at while i have you there peter of course you're also connected the family is connected to the carrigaline court hotel are you ready to go yeah, same same thing there. Um, the hotel actually has we've we've had guests in, albeit limited, um, for essential services uh, locally around us. There, there's some some very big factories that are are, are you know operating away. So we've been operating operating very limited down there accommodation wise. Um, but you know, for example, nobody could have the dining rooms were closed, the bars were obviously closed or anything like that. Um, um, you know, breakfast served in rooms and and things up to now. From the 29th, uh, you know, we'll 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 open uh, there, open to the public as well. Um, but again, you know, with social distancing, uh, uh, two meter rule in, and um, you know, very strict uh, staff staff training for all our staff coming back and how they how they handle customers and 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 uh, you know, it's it's it's. Will we get places like leisure centres back in hotels like yours? 
keeps it waiting again. Uh, this, this seems to be the mantra. We're waiting on guidelines uh, from the relevant department. Um, we can't, we can't, we can't give an exact date on that yet. Um, the big, the big issues really will be around the amount of people you'll have in gyms. Uh, changing rooms will be will, another big one to be discussed and how all that will handle. But at the moment, we're, we we just seem to be waiting for for information as our most industries are owned. Indeed, I think it, it seems to be it seems to be changing day to day, if not week to week. Peter, thank you very much, and good luck when it happens. That's Peter Collins from Barry's in Douglas, and of course from the Carrigaline Court Hotel down the road, uh, Sullivan's in Douglas. Donald, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? You embraced the takeaway culture and you've had a reasonably good couple of months, but one metre versus two metre. I think on the very first day of restrictions before the pubs even closed, you and I chatted in O'Sullivan's when I was down for a bite of breakfast with my son. One metre versus two metre is colossal. Huge, huge difference. Uh, um, uh, presuming this is what's in the papers and stuff is going to come through, that it will be down to one metre. It's a, it's a huge difference. You know, most, most, like we're lucky we have space as well. Uh, and our tables are pretty much a metre apart as it is, so it makes a huge makes it very viable. The idea that I have to spend, as Peter said there, I have to spend nine euro on food before you're allowed to sell me a pint. Like that won't that's, that's sustainable. And we're only talking a couple of weeks here before the pubs are allowed to open. These are only guidelines for restaurants to open as as uh, like bars to open as restaurants. It, it is what it is. We'll work with that, uh, um, and people will understand. It. I mean, if it means we could open three weeks earlier, and we do substantial meals, then you'll, you know, I'm just delighted to have a green night to go. Yeah. Are you going to be extending out into the car park there behind the pub? Uh, we we have a, a, um, a sun turf out there as it is. We're not. No, no. We're 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 not going to go too far into the car park. No. Right. Right. So the two meters versus one meter is crucial. I know you. Everyone's got their own fire allowance, how many are allowed in the premises but like, how, how many can you get in with two and then how many can you get in with one? Well uh, we, we, unlike Peter, we've measured up for one metre, we felt it was going to go that direction anyway I hope we're right uh, uh, we, we'll have 30 tables in at one metre um, apart uh, like half that if there was if it were two metres I presume Right, and I take it as well, bar counter service not happening no, so again, like, but if you walked into if you walked into a restaurant, would you expect to go up to the counter and order? No, you wouldn't. So sit right. down, enjoy it, and let us look after. We'd provide you with great service, um, you know, and we'll do our best to make you enjoy that hour and a half. Yeah, that's. I think might that be a problem asking people to to leave after an hour and a half when they're just settling in? I I, I I don't think so. I think people are very understanding. And also, I can understand why it's an hour and a half. And an hour and a half is a guideline. I don't think 10 minutes either direction is going to make a difference to anyone. Yeah. But, you know, in that hour and a half, you know, you, you may not need to go to the toilet or you may not, you know, you won't be, like, I, I keep it in my head that I know they would be hugging if they were there any longer. You know, yeah. after, you can't over overdo it in an yeah. hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I understand. And this is only for the first couple of weeks, I'd imagine. And then the bars will be allowed open. Uh, with with some restrictions, but this is just to get open, get a green night, and get us um, yeah. back in business. It's been a hard I, few on, months. I, like, I think it's a good thing. It's been a hard few months. It's been a, it's been a long hard. Like nobody, you know, nobody thought, um, nobody thought at the time that this would take this long. You know, yeah. like I remember, I remember back to April nineteenth when they said that was when we were open and we were geared up for then, and then we started doing takeaways and stuff when when we felt that that wasn't going to happen, and and the takeaways have gone really really well. Like yeah. so, um, you know, we're just. Delighted to get that open. You know, we're 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 
we're nearly full for the first week already with, with bookings. So we're just delighted to see a green light. Well, that's great news. That's great news. I'm delighted to hear it. Donald, thank you very much. And I'll see you at some stage, hopefully over the next few weeks, both Donald and Peter. That's Donald, Donald O'Sullivan's bar, Jono's in, in Douglas. So they're open on the 29th. They're open as restaurants. So no, in answer to people who were calling and texting to ask this specific question, you cannot yet go into your local on the 29th and just have a pint. But as Donald said, just like going into a restaurant and saying, I'm only here for a pint. You, you won't be able to do that. So you can go to the pub, you have to order something to eat, you have to spend more than nine quid on food, and then you can have a pint, but you can only stay for an hour and a half. Uh, lots of people saying they won't go at a one metre distance. They wouldn't feel safe. Uh, well, well, I'd like to get down to those. Get me those ones. Here we are. Louise says, why is it okay to spend 90 minutes in a restaurant one metre away from others? And it's not okay to be one metre away from others in a queue or while shopping without a face covering, etc. Mixed messages here, she says. Hi, PJ. Hope you're well. Let's look at this in a different light. Instead of people going to the pub on a Friday and get drunk out of their minds... They can go now and have dinner and a pint and come home in a reasonable state. Think of the positives in that. Fewer hangovers, fewer fights, less families missing out on quality time. You're not wrong. Siobhan in St. Luke's, what about the poor old fellas on the pension who just want to go and sit in the pub and meet people and have a chat? They won't be able to afford nine quid on top of the price of a pint every time they just want a bit of sociality or sociability. Kate says it's grand. You'd spend nine quid in no time in the pub. Should some fibre for the pint. No, no, Kate, you have to spend the nine quid before you can order the pint. WhatsApp, are the pubs going to force customers out the door after 90 minutes? Is it even legal to turf someone out if they want to continue drinking? With the one metre distance, Lisa says, we need to learn to live with this and act responsibly. We need to get some normality back. Pamela, hand washing, cough, cough etiquette. Yes, we will go down to one metre. Would you be happy? Throw the question out for a while. Would you be happy to go down to one metre? Do you think it's safe to go down to one metre? Now, as I said to you yesterday, I'm getting soundings from all over Europe. It's quietly happening. It's happening all over Europe already. Particularly in the outside, outside, not so much inside, but outside. One metre is already happening. Um, let's go to line two. Mary, you're listening to the discussion. Good morning. Hello. I'm just in, like, and I'm incensed at the way our, you know, the promoters of the drinking culture in this country are on the bandwagon in relation to this. And our public health is going to be dictated by the extensive power of their lobbying groups. It is just ridiculous. Like, at the moment, if you go into a supermarket, you're supposed to be two metres away wearing a mask. Whereas you go down to a pub and they want you to sit for at least an hour and a half within a metre of somebody wearing no mask. Mm, well, there's no it, one going to force you to do it. If you don't want to do it, if you don't want to go to the pub and no, or but you that's can stay fine, at home. But, like, but people as well, like I have uh, teenagers and under the new restrictions, I had a group of them in the... Um, garden here last week and you know they all came down and they were all being very good and we had cushions and chairs in mm. the garden and it was you know lovely day or whatever and they were all out you know, after two drinks each they were all kissing each other and taking selfies yeah you know that is what is going to happen once you introduce drink back into the equation people didn't know whether they were standing up or sitting down you know well the idea exactly. that you can only be there for 90 minutes will surely that's, that's 
Well, Ease that, that off. But that's, that is the precursor. Once they have this in, when the actual full reopening of the pubs, there isn't going to be a rollback. Yeah. Are you, are you, are you doubtful happen. that the pubs should open at all? Do you not think they should I be I don't, know. I think, like, you know, um, I, I actually don't. I think returning to the way we were is probably not in, even in the best interest of society. If people who were dependent on going to the pub for everything before have managed without it now for the last three months and hopefully have moved on, maybe started... Yeah, but you know who hasn't managed without it, Mary, is the thousands and thousands of people, most of them young people, who work in the pubs. Do you know, thousands of people okay, are out of work here. Thousands of people were out of, out of work anyway, you know what I mean, for that kind of thing, but... Is this a public health issue or is it, an empl- econ- is it purely on economic grounds so that this is all being done? Yeah. And why for the pubs and not the thousands that were jobs lost in retail and things? Where is this far Well, easier? retail has started to open and the restaurants so, are yes, opening. Yes, but how ma- sorry, we all know what Patrick Street is like. Retail is open. How many of the jobs have been lost? Already. And it is far... Well, surely, Mary, and I'm, 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 I'm appreciate yeah. what you say here, but you're saying on the one hand, well, look at all the jobs that have been lost and, and all of that, and, and look at the state of the economy, which yeah. is what I'd add on top of it. But yet, if we don't start to reopen in some shape or form, that's just going to get worse. Well, you know, we maybe we just have to do things differently, trying to get things back to way, the way they were isn't going to work. Maybe there are more jobs that can be created in the leisure space. Maybe there are different ways that people can be organised to socialise and be safe at the same time, rather than going back. And the only, the pubs, like kind of thing, in fairness, like the more popular pubs, were. what's going to happen when the music starts inside in a pub? You couldn't hear somebody in, a, in a, one of the busy, thriving pubs in Cork. You couldn't hear yourself if you were a foot away from somebody. Mm-hmm. And which means people... But there will be no music at the moment. At anyway. the moment, but this is all a pre You bring it in, that kind of thing, and what are they going to do? Change, ask, ask them all to change the distancing as soon as they... Mm. As soon as this progresses, you know, it just doesn't make sense. If so what would you be like, suggesting as an alternative? Once the pub starts getting noisy, people are going to be spitting when they're speaking because that is what happens when you have to shout over a noise yeah. and are going to be indirect contact. Like, our, you know, is wearing a mask going to be men outside in a pub? That's going to change the experience totally anyway. Like, you, but do, we, we do reach the question of, of choice here. Like, if, if you, Mary, don't particularly really like the like new that, arrangement, you don't have to go. That, sorry, there isn't really a particular uh, a choice insofar as my, my young adults or whatever in aren't going to sit at home with me uh, watching the Late Late Show on a Friday night with, if they're fr- They'll take the chance. Yeah. They'll want to be included. And in fairness... I don't know, like, what's before them. And, you know what I mean? Obviously, growing up, like, kind of thing, we all socialised in pubs and things. No, it was still very different. We didn't have this binge drinking culture anyway in those days, like, kind of thing. And, and it's like, you know what I mean? You had fellas drinking pints and so many of them they could drink. You know what I mean? We didn't have this, um, the binge drinking culture that's there for the young people these days. And yeah. it's just not going to work. 
can see the issues that there are up I can see I can see why you're concerned about it we might throw it out to listeners and see what they think Mary thank you very much for your call uh, to the opinion line Mary is saying is it safe is it responsible is this the pub trade putting pressure uh, on the authorities to try to get open again two metres down to one metre someone's saying there if the schools aren't sure about what they can do in September how come we can open the pubs what do you think should we be opening the pubs on the, well, the, the pubs that can be restaurants on the 29th of June and then into July we're going to get the other pubs open and they're waiting on guidelines. I've been talking to a, a couple of um, leading publicans around town and they're, they're waiting to get guidelines into their hand before they, they'll comment. The Peter Collins and, and Donald from O'Sullivan's, they're all running as restaurants now from the 29th. Um, but what do you think? Like, the two metres will be down to one metre. It'll be a 90-minute sitting. Then again, I mean, if you're going out with your brother and his wife, like, if you and your wife are going out with your brother and his wife or whatever relationship you have, surely that's okay. Do you know what I mean? So, do you agree with Mary? Is it, is it, is, are we moving too fast on the pubs around? So, just text, pubs, yes, if you think... They should be opening. Pubs, no, if you think they should be closing, staying closed for a little while longer. Pubs, yes, if you're okay with them opening. Pubs, no, if you're not. To 083 396 96 96 via text or WhatsApp. We are plagued with rats. Big ones. You could put saddles and sew them. That the size of kittens, we're being told. Now, I personally haven't seen any, but then I have two dogs and two cats. If I did, they'd be getting their P45. But have you seen rats? Have you come across rats? Have they borrowed into your car, as we've been hearing? Let's see what the story is. Is there a genuine plague of rats in Cork at the moment? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Remaining open for all your essential fuels with drive-in or seven-day delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie Cork's 96 FM now brings you even more music choice. Streaming online. Listen to the hit mix for fresh new music. Fresh new music. And the all new Cork's 96 FM Fit Mix. It's the perfect soundtrack for your workout. Your workout. Download our app. Listen on your smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go to 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. Right, we're moving at a pace this morning. We have found an explanation, we think, for the tricolours hanging up all over the city. Uh, it's nothing nothing sinister and certain to the person who thought it was the instructions of the Army Council. No, it wasn't. Nothing to do with that. We've got an explanation for that. We're going to keep our text poll going as well up to around 10 o'clock. So if you think it's okay for the pubs to be opening on the 29th and thereafter, pubs, yes. Whatever the restrictions, that's not mind the restrictions. Pubs, yes, if you think it's okay that the pubs are opening on the 29th. Pubs, no, if you don't. Mary reckons we should hold fast for a while and not bother. And, you know, just keep going. Put safety first, two metres. Do you know, it's hard on the economy. But we have to be safe. That was Mary's idea. Mary's call was about that. Pubs, yes, if you think that they should open. Pubs, no, if you think that they should not. Two oh eight three. 3.96.96.96. Also, later this morning, later this morning, a bit of madness and mayhem 
with these two? Have you a dream guest? I don't know. I'm kind of... I always say this, but I'd love Graham Norton. We're definitely going to get our mams on. Our mams on to be a laugh, yeah. Um, Michael G. Higgins to be a skate. Those two. Later. 1857-15996. Apparently there's a plague of rats, lads. Rats have overrun parts of Ireland uh, amid the coronavirus pandemic and with the resulting restrictions. Dublin, apparently, has seen a huge increase in vermin and the pest control industry is struggling to cope. I don't know how we're doing here in Cork. Trevor Hayden is from Complete Pest Control. Morning, Trev. Good morning. How are you? Good. Have we seen a plague of rats or is it just like the birds? We're, we're, we're spotting them more easily because traffic was off the roads? It's a little bit of both. So, yes, people are noticing they're at home, obviously, for the last couple of months and they're sitting out the back or they're looking out the window and they're noticing things that they wouldn't ordinarily notice because they'd be at work. Um, also, what's happening is because people are at home, they're eating all their meals in the house. So not going out for lunch or, you know, grabbing a coffee on the way to work. So therefore, the amount of rubbish that has been created in domestic scenes has increased. So we're noticing a lot of uh, apartment blocks, for example, whereby the bins will be overflowing. And this is just ringing the dinner bell for, for, the, for the rats. There's an old saying that you're never really more than 10 feet from a rat. Is that an urban myth? If you include drains in that, yes, that's true. So uh, you would find a lot of rat activity in the, the drains. So if you're presuming you're never far from a drain, it would be true, yeah. But generally they don't come up out of them, do they? Um, we do get them coming into houses where people have had extensions built and the drain works maybe weren't finished to a good quality and there's a breach in the drain somewhere and, yep, they'll come straight up out of the drain in, into the house. And what we're finding is they'll nest in the house and feed in the drain. Oh, dear. Yeah. Oh, dear, oh dear me. Yeah. And, and like, they're, people can give or take mice, but rats, ugh. Mice is more of an inconvenience. Is it really? Something, something you'd rather not have. Yeah. You know? and we find that with people. They, they want rid of them. Just They just don't want them there. Rats just takes the fear level to a whole other level. Um, it's, yeah, look. Like, are, apart from the fact that they're, they're riddled in disease and fleas and all that, mm-hmm. do, are they actually dangerous to us? Like, do are, are, are rats inclined to attack? No. That they want to put as much distance between you and them as possible. So there's these myths that they go for your neck and all this type of stuff. I've been in attics where there's been a rat cornered in the corner, and I've never been bit. So no, they, they look not to say they couldn't. Absolutely, you know, you know, an accident can happen. But will they go for you like a like a mad dog? No, absolutely not. Yeah. So I said there in the introduction, I have two cats and two dogs. I'm, I'm reasonably confident. One one of my cats is a pathological serial killer, but 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 I'm reasonably confident that 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 um, that they won't get into my house. Have have I am am I being complacent? Yeah, yeah. Your your average family pet, whether it be a cat or a dog, they they might chase a rat or a mouse, but they'll do it more for sport than necessity. So you know they they're they're too well fed. You you feed them a couple of times a day. You know they're quite content. And if they're up for it and they happen to see a mouse, they might give chase or a rat. Um, but they wouldn't be doing it out of necessity. Where these feral cats that you see around that, that hang around industrial estates or whatever, they will because they have to get their dinner. They literally have to chase their dinner. So, so, so is there a bit of it, like you said, is there a bit of an upsurge post-pandemic or because of the pandemic? Yeah, 
Yeah, we've we've definitely noticed it. Um, I I thought that the, our domestic calls, you know, given the pandemic, would have fallen off a cliff. That people wouldn't want us in their homes. But the fear of the rat seems to outweigh the fear of COVID nineteen. So yeah, we've been we've been tipping along. It's it's look, it's not going to be a record breaking year with regard to to contracts and everything else. But is there is there more rats than normal? Yes. Absolutely. And are they bigger? Yeah, for whatever reason, I, I have no explanation for that. But genuinely, over I'm doing this 17 years now, and they are definitely getting bigger as time goes on. So what happens if you see one? Like if you happen to spot one in the garden or in the garage or, God forbid, in, in the living room? What do you yeah. do other so, than scream? Well, yeah, after you've stopped screaming, the first thing you do is don't use poison. If you're if you've a rat inside of a structure, whether it be your garage or whether it be your home, you know if you poison that rat, you've no control over where it dies. So you're going to be stuck with that smell for a couple of months, and it's really really bad. It's, it's awful. Not a head head head. Yeah. it's horrendous. Whatever about the smell of a mouse, you know, will come and go in a week or so. But a rat is a different ballgame. It's a really intense, strong smell that lasts for two months, easy. Um, so traps is the way to go internally and there's various different types of traps that you can use um if someone is if we were recommending to put something on, on a trap peanut butter nutella something like this there is other stuff that you can buy that's supposed to attract them but we find peanut butter or nutella works extremely well mm. um and once you've set your traps then then the real question starts so the question is why 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 is this rat here sometimes the why is a bit of bad luck the door was left open, something came in, mm. and other times then the why is a proofing issue, whether it be a broken vent or a drain or something along those lines. Um, and you need to you need to address that. Otherwise, if there is a why, if the problem can reoccur. There are myths around like that they'll eat through your concrete wall or they'll get in through a crack in, in the plaster. I mean, how much of that is true? I know they'll eat anything, but how much of that is true? I have seen holes, a small hole which has been enlarged in concrete by a rat. Their, their front teeth never stop growing, so they're constantly chewing on things, and their teeth are super, super hard. So, absolutely, yes. Have I seen them eat through concrete? Yes, no problem whatsoever. Crikey. Oh, God. Okay, okay. Well, 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 welcome to my world. Oh, stop. I'd rather not. <laughs> I can. I have no problem with mice or anything like that. They're just annoying, like you said, but rats, I don't want anywhere near me. Yeah, no, no. And do you know what? They they don't, obviously, they don't freak me out because I'm in the game. The the only thing, like after 17 years, the, the one thing that still makes me itch would be bed bugs. So they're, they're the one thing that still makes me scratch when I do the job like that. Okay. All right. I think there'll be so, a bit of a run on, on traps and peanut butter over the next yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. right. Trevor, no thanks problem. very much. Cheers. Bye bye. That's Trevor Hayden from Complete Pest Control. I'm sure you can find him fairly easily on uh, social media. 1850 We are looking at uh, keeping that text poll going now until 10 o'clock with regard to the pubs. Do you think the pubs should be opening up? Remember, it's going to be in stages. They'll be in restaurant form only on the 29th of June and then later in July the other pubs will open. We hear it's not set in stone yet as Peter Collins told us. We hear that there may be a reduction in the two metres to one metre and you'll stay for 90 minutes in the pub. The publicans, the hoteliers, anyone running a function, anyone running any kind of a business has been telling us two metres down to one metre is just it's just a seismic shift. It makes It'll make the difference between businesses succeeding and businesses failing. But should it be happening? Should the pubs be reopening? That's our question. Pubs, yes, if you think they should. Pubs, no.
if you think they shouldn't, to 083 396 96 96. We keep that going. Pubs, no, moving way too fast. Health checks. Not a, health checks are not available. Smear tests are not available. And yet we're opening the pubs. Should health and education not come before the pubs? This country is a joke. The government have no clue how to handle the virus. Businesses should be allowed open. The virus is here to stay. When as a country, or when as a country, are people going to realise we have to open business? We don't generate the money that the economy needs without functioning businesses. Joan, what's no? Aaron, yes. This is coming from someone who isn't even a big drinker. Yes, Mary's talking through her backside, says this message. We need to get everybody back to work and get the economy going. It's up to the individual if they want to go out drinking or not. Or if they want to put themselves into a situation where they weren't too sure about their safety. David on WhatsApp, hi PJ, pubs as restaurants is absolutely fine in the manner you've described. Three people having a meal and a pint. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. There'll be gangs of youngsters, in particular crowds, making a mockery of the rules. They'll do it in a handful of places that are open with outdoor seating, no social distancing. If they see people social distancing, they'll sit in groups in the gap. It'll be a disaster. Restaurants can be restaurants, pubs for all their intentions can't, and it'll be a disaster. And Kevin, with regard to Mary, says, I get what she's saying, and I was guilty of it when it comes to finding fault. But the reality is people will crib about bar staff getting COVID payments and owners will just go broke. Then banks will come under pressure. We'll all have to pay. And Mary, or Kate asks, listen, does Mary want to just ban Christmas now as well? She's down about it all, it seems. And a lot of people are very concerned about getting back to work and getting back to business and getting back to some kind of ordinary life. And those are worries we have to take on board. We have to have a lot of balancing to do over the coming weeks and months. 1850 715996. Back to the new programme for government in just a minute between Fine Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens. I will be talking later this morning with Michal Martin. But the Greens are going to struggle to get this over the line. A lot of people have been saying since Monday, don't be so sure that the Greens will bring this over the line. Remember, theirs is the hardest job. Theirs is the hardest job to get it over the line. Let's actually go to one of the their councillors, uh, newly elected in the last local elections, and one of the councillors who is suggesting that they vote against this deal. Lorna Bogue, good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? I'm not, not, too, not too bad. I would have thought, Lorna, that any member of the Green Party, elected or not, up and down the country, would be only too delighted to get their party into government to implement some of the climate change stuff that you, that you want so badly. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, we'd be delighted to get um, things implemented, but um, having gone through the, um, the document, which is over 100 pages, um, there's not a lot of implementation going on there. Um, and, you know, I've I've done my best to try and look at it from a very positive point of view um but you know i've read through i've read through the entire thing now and um you know like i i, I just with my with my councillor hat on and with my um green party hat on and economist hat on i just can't recommend it what's not um, there that should be well there's lots of things i mean like i was i was on prime time last night um discussing this um particular document so there's things in there like um, 
like stopping that incinerator is not in there. Um, things like actually um, implementing transport strategy for Cork City um, is not in there. Um, when we look at the housing commitments that are in that particular document, um, it says 50,000 houses over five years. Like, you know, on the face of it, that sounds like quite an impressive figure. But then when you actually go down through it and divide pretty much every figure by 31 local authorities, um, you suddenly reach um, figures that are not quite so good um, anymore. Um, and, um, yeah. What about the carbon emissions? I, I heard people saying that the carbon emissions thing isn't as good as it sounds. No, no, because um, Minister Simon Coakley actually came out and said it. Um, like, he, he said the um, he said the quiet part loud um, to his own um, parliamentary party. Um, so he came out and said that, um, that those commitments um, aren't really going to happen for the first five years of government. Um, to his own parliamentary party, so um, like that's 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 a big problem for us um, because like if you're looking at reaching a fifty percent reduction overall, um, then the thing to do is actually to go and consistently do that over the next ten years, yeah. um, which is to get the seven percent. So like do that consistently, um, do a, do it on the average and. Don't be hurting people in order to get to that fifty um, percent reduction overall. Mm. Whereas, like, so so that's what is it possible to do it without hurting people's lives? You see, that's that's the big question that get asked. Pe- people dread the, people love the idea of cleaning up the environment. They they really do. Mm, yeah. But but they live in mortal fear of how much it's going to cost them as citizens of Ireland. Yeah, and like that's 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 a line that we as the Green Party tread all the time. So like I I totally I totally understand that fear because I went on the doors, and I heard that fear coming back to me. Um, so like that's exactly why we're looking for quite a large stimulus package, and that's why we're looking for a Green New Deal that actually employs people or provides people with the incentives to change their behaviour. Mm. Um, so that, that's that's exactly kind of why we're talking about things like a just transition, because I know it sounds like jargon, but like actually a just transition means that like people are getting paid to change their behaviour and that people are getting good work and good wages in order to do that. Mm. Um, so that's, that's exactly the kind of thing that like is why I'm in the Green Party and why I think... Um, that we should be taking this particular approach because even even if you look at things from an EU level, right? Um, like we're looking at large stimulus packages coming in from the um, ECB, from the European Investment Bank as well, um, and we're also looking at these large investment packages coming in from the EU. Um, like this is this is a prime time for the country to actually get. The, the EU funding that we can actually go and make that just transition mm. and do it in a way that won't hurt people. And interest rates are also at the lowest rate yeah. they have been historically ever. Yeah. Um, and yet at the same time, we have Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael coming in with this particular programme for government and they're not really talking about um, running a deficit or doing deficit spending. Yeah. Um, and they're also not talking about having a stimulus either. Do you know when, um, you, when you sit down and you do a programme for government, no matter who you yeah. are and, and, and what shade your politics, never mind a programme for government, 
you sit down in a council and you, and you devise a plan for the city. Mm. Nobody gets everything that they want. Mm-hmm. But aren't you better to be in the deal and influencing the deal than outside the deal shouting into the dark skies? Well, this is the, this is the decision that um, the Green Party has to make because um, we've brought we've brought Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael as far as we can now. Um, so, like, getting them to this point was, to be honest, PJ, it was like drawing blood from a stone. Like, it was really difficult. And I, I do pay tribute to our negotiation team that they managed to get Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael this far. But, like, and is all that work far, not now wasted if you vote against this? No, I don't think so. I think I think a lot of that groundwork has been done. Um, and I think that at, at the end of the day, I, I think it would be very difficult for Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to withdraw from the commitments that they have made, um, you know, small mm. and all as they are. Yeah, but if you um, don't vote for it, it doesn't happen. And, and we're in a political crisis with no government... Think that it's going to be a political crisis. Like I've I've heard from you of Radker and um, all of his crew. Like oh, this is a political crisis. Um, you know, like what what he would call a political crisis, I would call democracy. Um, and I don't necessarily know if the people who voted for the Green Party or who voted in the last general election were necessarily voting for a Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Green Party government. Like, I, I don't think that was the outcome that anyone was thinking of yeah. um, when they actually voted. And tell um, me, do Green Party members vote and on polling day? Do they vote with a government in mind because, you know, on, at the moment you're not going to be ever in a position to form a government yourself as, as, as we stand? Mm. So do they have... Like, when you went to vote for, for your Green Party candidate... Uh, and you transferred your vote down the down the line, um, and you did fairly well yourself in in, in the count. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, did you have an idea in mind, Lorna, when you were campaigning, who you'd like to sit in in, in government with? Um, not necessarily. The thing that I had in mind the whole time was um, what policies can actually get through and. Specifically, what policies can we get through for Cork? I mean, like, I went through this particular document with a fine-tooth comb, and I went through it with my councillor's hat on, and also as someone um, who has a qualification in economics. Um, And when I was looking at it, and you'd sort of think, well, you know, Michael McGrath, Micheál Martin, and Simon Coveney are all at the table here. Um, and they ran the last election as being strong voices for Cork, um, and supposedly they're representing Cork. And yet, when you actually go through a programme for government that's before us, there isn't really a lot in there for Cork. Um, and there's not much that I, as a Cork City Councillor, could stand over and say, well, this is a great thing for Cork, or this is a piece of investment that didn't exist before and now suddenly it does exist. Like, even even the cycling and walking infrastructure stuff, like when you actually go down and drill into the figures, it basically comes up to about 11 million euro per council. Um, and then at the same time, 
in the programme for government, it doesn't necessarily say that it's actually new funding. It says that a lot of this funding has already been committed by the NTA, which we, I would know from Cork City Council um, is already in place. Because like when you look at things like the Wilton Corridor or um, the, uh, the Toker scheme, like all of those were put in place for bus connections yeah. in Cork. And yet we're being told in this programme for government that bus connects in Cork is a this brand new big and shiny thing um, that didn't exist before. Suddenly, um, even though as a councillor I've been talking about bus connects for the last year, yeah. um, so I'm looking at it and I'm not seeing a commitment to um, stop that incinerator down Rinneskiddy. I'm not seeing a commitment to put in the investment to actually put in like a light rail system um, in Cork. Um, and uh, there's other there's other kind of things that are kind of concerning to me okay. as well which is you know um there's there's a part in it about um companies that are going into liquidation or receivership and it says that they'll set up a committee to look into whether workers are being badly treated now if you talk to the devon's workers you'd know that workers are being badly treated yeah um, yeah, so bit, there's an amount of that in it all right we'll, we'll we'll have a look and we'll do a report and we'll set up a task force we'll be actually do to end so you'll be voting against it were, were you encouraged last night to see that your finance spokesperson NASA Harrigan will be voting against it too well, I actually wasn't watching TV because um, I was on TV myself. So. Yeah. yeah, she seems <laughs> to be indicating she's she's a Guinness as well, which mm. which which will be very worrying, I suppose, for for Leo Adker and and Michal Martin. Lorna, thanks very much. That's Lorna Bogue from the Green Party voting against, and we had Dan Boyle the other morning who'll be voting for. They're in neighbouring wards in Cork City Council. Interesting to know, actually, wouldn't it be how our other Green Party councillors? will be voting or will be recommending their local members to vote. So Lorna will be recommending her local members to vote no. Dan will be recommending his local members to go for for yes. So what about Colette Finn? And what about Oliver Moran? That could be very... I said this the other morning. I said this the other morning. Don't, don't go putting money on this actually happening. Mag says, I don't think Lorna even knows why Lorna's opposed to the deal. Always comes across as completely clueless. I don't think she does. I don't think she does. She says she has a degree. She has an economics qualification and she's been drilling down into this and she's pointing out some holes that she sees in it. I'd appreciate if you could bring up about this electric car policy that's expected to come in. What happens to new pensioners in 10 years? What if we buy a new car and love it? Are we expected to give it up for an electric model? The answer to that is no. The car you have is probably far more environmentally friendly than even one that was five years ago. Nobody will be made to buy a new car, but when you're buying a new one, your options will be more limited as they, as they fade out, or they phase out petrol and diesel. I, I don't know why they have this set on hybrids. Because uh, I actually was driven around in a hybrid at the weekend, and they're a lovely little car, beautiful little car. But they, and, and the motor industry is saying it's not possible to go fully electric in ten years. But that's 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 the dream, I guess. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. We will be talking to Michal Martin later in the show about their plans. But I'm not. I'm not sure this is going to fall into place. Really not. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM.
Collating the results of the text poll here, which is now closed. Uh, and I'm... Actually, looks as if it's going to go against the pub's opening on the 29th of June and thereafter. People seem nervous about the plan. Then remind you, we spoke to Peter Collins from Barry's in Douglas and Donald from O'Sullivan's in Douglas and he, they both said, look, we're looking forward to opening. We think two metres will go down to one metre eventually, but we're not sure just yet. We're, we're adapting the pubs for two metres. You'll have to book in advance. Donald says he's almost booked out already for the first week after they open. You have to book in advance. You can only book for 90 minutes and you can't have a pint unless you've actually bought something to eat and that something to eat has to cost more than €9. And that's how it's going to operate for a while. The rest of the pubs then, due to come in on the 20th of July, although it may well be advanced, if the numbers keep going as they are, the numbers are good. The numbers are very good. We haven't had a new case, an actual new case in Cork now for quite a number of days. But you don't hear too much about that, do you? And what is being pointed out a lot is, look, the pubs might be open, the restaurants might be open, Penny's is open. It's your choice whether you go or not. No one's going to drag you kicking and screaming in the door, rip off your face mask and force you to leak the counter. It's not going to happen. So if you want to stay at home, stay at home. But the rest of us need to be allowed to get on with our lives. That's one very strong argument that is out there. Because if we don't get back to some kind of normal and some kind of economic functioning, who's going to pay for all the public service we need as, as the year goes on? The taxpayer, the taxes paid by all these businesses, that's what pays for stuff. Do you know what I mean? Uh, disagree with me if you will. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. The Twitter is at opinionline96. Follow our hashtag, which is hashtag OL96. And the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Send us a message and mark it for the attention of the opinion line. It's been a very hard few months for anybody going to the CUMH. There were severe and limiting visit restrictions from the start. Uh, Linda, are they still there? Good morning. Hi, PJ. Unfortunately, yes, they are. Um, and I think it's funny, you know, people talking about pubs reopening. Couldn't be further from my mind at the moment. Um, you know, a month out from having my second baby. I'm just very concerned that when I was there two weeks ago um, for my last checkup, I asked, you know, what's, what's happening with visiting restrictions. And at the time, they hadn't uh, fast-forwarded the roadmap. So I just accepted what they said. You know, I'm having a planned section. I have to be admitted on my own, go up and have all my pre-surgery tests done on my own. My husband has to wait in the car park. And then when they move me down to theatre, he'll, he'll be called in and he can be with me and the baby for an hour in the recovery room afterwards. And once I go back up to the ward, I won't see him again then until I'm discharged. Oh. And it's just, it's very daunting. And this is my second baby. So in one sense, I feel lucky because 
at least I know somewhat what to expect. But we had a very, very difficult time um, in the hospital on the birth of our first child. Mm. Um, it was a very difficult birth and I would not have gotten through it without my husband. Um, I can't imagine what it's like for people who, you know, their partners or their nominated person is only brought in toward the end part of their labour. And then... Like, even for my husband, you know, to, like, to be kicked out of the hospital, you know, an hour after their baby is born and they don't get to see the baby for three, four days, in my case. Yeah. You know, it's it's a real, it's very gut-wrenching. Um, and it's very hard to see how they're going to continue those restrictions. Like, they're very well set up in the CUMH. They've moved as many services as possible out into community clinics. So... Anybody who's going to CUMH is only there because there's a real need for it. Yeah. My understanding is they haven't had a single case of COVID. Everybody's requested to wear masks. They're taking everybody's temperatures on the way in. And they revised the neonatal visiting hours. And I just find it really strange that even after the government announcement that they were fast-forwarding the reopening map, there there has been utter silence from the hospital about how they're going to manage visiting restrictions going forward. And yeah. I don't think it's unreasonable to say to somebody who's just had a baby, okay, you can have a nominated visitor. Might not even be the extent that it was there before, but even just for an hour, yeah. you know, once a day to have somebody come in. Like, I have no idea, like, how how will I go have a shower after I've had the baby, you know? Yeah. Like, these were all things the last time that I could do when my husband was there or he'd help me get up and around walking again, which is really important, particularly after a section. You know, he like, you can't expect staff to do that because they're already, we know, under-resourced and overworked yeah. in the maternity hospital. Um, so it is so important to have somebody like that who can support you in those first few days. Never mind when you've got hormones coming and going like nobody's business and you're an emotional wreck you know just to have somebody come in yeah. and to be able to chat to them for an hour um, I just think it's very very harsh the restrictions at the moment and like if, if people are you know going to pennies as you say and able to go to pubs why are CUMH not making an announcement on the visiting restrictions mm. I don't understand it we, we did send them an email um, based mm. on what you wanted to say. And they came back and they said, Cork University Maternity Hospital has enhanced visiting for partners with babies in the, the NICU. That's the intensive care. Both mm. parents are allowed to visit their baby in the NICU once, one at a time. No other changes to visiting restrictions have been made. So, no change as of yet. Yeah, no, and that's that's kind of what I'm expecting. I'm there for another check-up next Wednesday, so I'm hoping um, maybe, you know, there m might get some insight then, you know, but I do think it's very unfair. Mm. And when uh, are you due again, like did I, you say, Linda? Uh, a month, a month today. Right, so that'd yeah. be a month today would be the 17th of July. Yeah. We're supposed to be out of everything by the 20th mm. of July. Yeah. So you, you, you'd expect something Logically, you, to have changed before before your 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 operation. Yeah, 
it just it just seems very slow, you know, at the moment. And even the last time I was there, there was nothing, you know, as part of my checkup about COVID or, you know, what I should be doing. I just thought we got through the whole appointment without men- one mention of the coronavirus. It yeah. was somewhat incredible, you know, um, by the time you left. But I do really hope that they do change it because it's not, like, as I said, I feel lucky because it's my second baby. So at least I know what to expect. But mm. if it's... And you, you also know, know what you're missing. Exactly, yeah. But for people who are having their first child, I think it must just be incredibly scary to be going in there, you know, on your own, not knowing what to expect. And well, as I say, now that's that's what uh, CUMH came back to came back to mm. us with. Um, so unless anything will change in in the next couple of weeks, which for you and many others, I guess I hope they, they, that they do. Linda, thank you, and good luck when it comes around. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. What are we talking about babies for? Says a woman on the phone. I thought we were talking about pubs. Should we all have babies for feck's sake? And there's no men there. There was no men there then. She'd want to get on with it. Well, just because some of us, some of you people also, you know, there was no men there. True. When I was born, my father was not, wasn't there. My, my, when my sister was born, my father wasn't there. You know, but, but, but when my kids were born, I was there. No, it's not a spectator sport. And I kind of said, right, at one point I said, what am I doing here? Well, I was there and I was useful and I was able to give some assistance if I was required. It's very important to people these days. TJ Well said, says David, the people with the heads up their arse need a reality check. Who pays for all these public services? Who pays for the COVID support? We, the people that are working and paying taxes. Caller's granddaughter was born 24th May. Perfect died in her mummy's arms and was resuscitated. She was in the Neo for three weeks. Only the mam was allowed visit for the first few weeks. Then daddy was allowed in at a separate time. Our little one even picked up a bug and was put into isolation, even in the Neo. I'm hoping against hope that, that she's okay. Well, you don't say, maybe, maybe she, but, but that was an awful experience to have to go through. And imagine... Having to go through that without your partner by your side, that, that's, that's rough. Very rough. Uh, I had my first baby on the 23rd of April. Yes, it was hard on both of us, but the staff were amazing and made us feel so welcome and so at ease. Hope that helps put ladies' minds at rest uh, when they're having a baby soon. 1850-715-996. No restrictions changed at the moment, with the exception of getting into the NICU. We've talked about the reopening and how it's going to affect certain people differently. And because of the uncertainty over childcare and the uncertainty over school, Rachel reckons a lot of parents just won't be able to go back to work even if their job is there. Talk to Rachel next. 1857 with a self-service laundry at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Spacious, convenient and still open every day. self service 
Care, a service which enables people with non-cancer related illnesses to spend their final days at home whilst receiving professional nursing care. To support the cause, simply cycle 20 kilometres on the 20th of June and donate 20 euro. For more information, check out hospicefoundation.ie. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Okay, we've got our text poll. Um, we got the results. About 54% of you, 54% of you said no, don't reopen the pubs on the 29th of June. Well, I'm sorry. I, okay, I'm going to lay my cards on the table here now and Kevin is going to be cross with me. I can't wait to go in and have my fish and chips and my pint. Can't wait. And I'll book my time and I'll stay my hour and a half and I'll go home. And if the Queen Bee will come with me, which I think she will, then, yeah, we'll go. Um, it has to be done. We have to get back to some semblance of normality. Kevin says, I get the economic argument. Can you please put a number of COVID cases out there that people are okay with uh, uh, to have a pie and a pint? Also, the number of deaths. I'd hate to be making that decision. It's not easy when you're asked to put a figure you're okay with out there. I'm not okay with any figure, Kevin, but there's a logic in this. We now know that 92% of the people who have gotten COVID-19 in this country have made a full recovery. And we now know that for 80% of the people who've gotten COVID-19, it was a relatively, I say relatively, mild illness. And people will always be at risk. And you protect the ones who are at risk. You do your best to protect those who are at risk. But those of us who are normal and healthy, for the most part will remain so. So we've got to get our economy going again. Do we? Or am I crazy? I don't know. On the babies, a female caller says, PJ, this is vulgar. I don't want to listen to this. Have you anything else at all to talk about? What's vulgar about talking about babies? And people having babies and wanting their partner. What's vulgar about that? 1857 There's a dog on the dual carriageway between near Cove Cross... Is that down the Tullagrena torn off? Yeah, there's a dog on the dual carriageway down there. Just be wary of that. Poor old mutt. Right, we talked, Rachel, just at the very start of lockdown about how you said we needed to suck it up, bear down and put up with it for our own good. Have you changed your view on that now that we're going back to work and getting out there a little bit? Good morning. Hi, PJ. Um, well, that's a nice summary, but no, I kind of, I felt that we did need to kind of learn to live with it. And I yeah. did kind of say, and I think the thing I'm on kind of today to talk about is the school's reopening. Yeah. Um, and I do. I think that we've done really well, um, not just from the kind of government side of things, but from um, people on the street. Um, we've all acted responsibly and we've done it without there having to be kind of really draconian forces put in place. So, like, you know, I said to you at the last time as well, I look around and I saw a lot of people stepping up to the mark. We've done it. You know, we did flatten the curve. Um, and, yeah, I actually agree with you with the economy reopening and I agree with schools reopening. But I suppose my concern was was that the school reopening plan, like, it's still in formation. It's not kind of finalised. But it's really vague, do you know? Mm. And my only concern is that 
the social responsibility around kind of new COVID normal until we have a vaccine, which could be a year or so, is going to fall back on the parents and we're going to get stuck in a loophole. So I actually think schools do need to reopen. I do think that businesses start to reopen. Um, um, and I'm in agreement with it. I think we've done it. Is yeah. there going to be a second wave? We're going to find out um, in the fall. Do you know, like we, we can't predict it. But I do actually think that we've done what we could um, as a society and we've done really well. Mm. So what's the next step? We do need to reopen. What is COVID normal now? Because we're going to be living with it for a while, right? Most of us will get a mild illness. Um, there's a percentage of people who won't. Um, we've kind of learned that. That's really good to know. We didn't know that three months ago, did we? No. Um, no. And now we do. So we're like brilliant. So we know that most of us will come through it. 92% okay. of those who've high, been confused. It? It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, and it's a, real, it's a real relief to kind of hear figures like that. Because you remember at the start, we didn't have a clue what this virus is about. Um, so we know that mostly we can get through it. Um, and we did the right things in the kind of face of an unknown virus. We closed the schools down because we didn't actually know how it's going to spread. Um, we've all taken a big kind of step back from our everyday lives. It's been very hard for a lot of us. Um, and now we're looking at reopening, and that's great. And I actually do agree with the schools reopening in September. But what I suppose I would kind of like to have the conversation with now, before the plans are just kind of pushed through in the next couple of months, is, well, how do we do that responsibly? So if we're learning to live with the virus and we've got social distancing, hand washing, masks in closed areas, a meet apart in pubs, we're getting a new normal for a while until we have the vaccination. So what's the new normal going to be around in schools? I agree with the government's stance that social distancing is, is actually not workable in primary schools, yeah. maybe in secondary. Um, yes, there are alternative models like forest schooling in, the, in Germany and all these brilliant models, but realistically, we're not going to put them in play by September. Yeah. So, and moreover, like, we have to take <laughs> account of the fact that we have the climate that we have. It'll exactly. start raining in October and it won't stop until March, pretty much. Exactly. And... The other reality of being a parent with primary school children, you know it yourself from being a parent, is kids will go into school, they will get coughs, colds, sore throats and nits. Okay? It's a very normal part of primary yeah. school. And the reality is if you can't stop nits from spreading in the school, you really can't stop something like COVID or a flu or a cold. Most of it, 80% of what's going to happen in September will be your standard sniffle, your standard sore throat, your standard fever. If a kid gets a cold at the moment, you might keep them out for a day, right, or, or two days. But because the symptoms of all of these very mild, normal childhood school illnesses are exactly the same as COVID, what does that do? Where does the responsibility lie? Does the responsibility lie with the parents to be like, yeah. you know what, they've got a sore throat and they've got a fever. I need to be socially responsible. Tell the school. That means my kid's going to have to stay at home. Oh, guess what? It could be COVID, so I can't really send them to a childminder. Can't ask my parents who are in their 70s. Can't really ask my friends. So you see what I'm talking about? Yes. As we're learning to live with COVID normal, it just means that unfortunately the symptoms of this illness are exactly the same as every other standard illness that we get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, win winter and sniffles and snots and coughs and whatever. So every second child has them every second day. Exactly. So like... For example, a really good kind of example would be my two had chicken pox two years ago, okay? And you know with chicken pox, the child has to be signed off completely until they're not contagious, like yeah. legally aren't allowed to send them in yeah. to school after school. So my first, it was in the school, um, a couple of kids had it. Um, my son, I think it was my son started with it. So he developed it. I was like, here we go. So we ended up with him signed off school for two weeks. My daughter then, there was a kind of a lull where she didn't get it. 
and then she got it. There was about just under five weeks of us having to kind of like, and now luckily with chickenpox, if your parents have had it, they're probably immune to My parents could help at that time. Mm. So we managed to get through it, higgledy-piggledy, kind of bringing in favourites from my parents, kind of taking a few sick days yeah. here. And, you know, we got through it. And, and you were able yeah. to, you know, work with your work with your workplace, as it were. Exactly, to, and yeah, explain yeah. what was going on. And I was working three days a week, and um, the kid's dad could do a couple of days remote work. So we managed fine. But now what happens if we go back in September and uh, a kid starts getting a really bad flu and the school, what do they do? Do they have to then isolate that kid for two weeks and coming back to getting back into the economy absolutely we need to start working again but is it fair to the employees or to the employers to have to deal with unanswered questions so if you turn around to your boss every two or three weeks and say my kid has a cold I'm I'm 95% sure that it's a standard sore throat where do these questions get answered and under Irish employment law employers don't have to pay sick leave right so some people do they have good policies bigger companies are better a lot of small companies don't pay sick leave. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. 
you can't actually claim any sort of kind of social welfare for the first week of it anyway. So you're putting a lot of responsibility, social responsibility on parents, teachers and employers without guidelines. And all I'm asking is that before they reopen the schools, they think about these logical, realistic COVID normal steps that are going to have to be taken. So is there going to be a bit of backup for parents um, where they can say to an employer, I'm really sorry, I'm going to have to remote work. Our employer is going to have to be more understanding that we're not living in, yes, we've reopened the schools, but it's not really normal until we get a vaccination. Yeah. And what supports are going to be in place for workplaces, for employers being constantly asked to give sick days to parents? Yeah. What, what supports are going to be there for parents who have to do this financially? And help the schools make decisions. Social distancing is not going to happen in primary schools. So how are they going to manage it? There's just unanswered questions. And I'm not saying we shouldn't open in September. I think we've done a good job. But if we're living with COVID normal for a while, then help us answer these questions. Don't just open the schools and let the onus responsibility fall on employers, parents and teachers without guidelines and legal support. Would you agree with me, um, Rachel, that anybody (laughs) who is presently doing their job from home should be allowed to keep doing it until schools are properly sorted out. Absolutely. And I actually think that a lot of, not just from a kind of the workers' point of view, but from employers' point of view as well, I think people were forced into this. And what, like, I couldn't remote work, but I've seen a lot of my friends and the kids' dad and stuff doing it. And people were actually almost forced into a test case. And, for example, my kids' dad, they, they found that they work really well remotely and that they only need one solid day a week in where everyone does their team meetings and everyone meets face-to-face and work. So I think a lot of working practices are actually kind of people, especially for smaller businesses, SMEs, are kind of like, well, actually, we're doing quite well like this. I do actually trust my employees. So I think a lot of changes are coming. We've been forced into a lot of new practices very quickly. And I'd be very surprised now, I wouldn't be very surprised rather, if a lot of working did change, remote work actually makes a lot of sense if it's possible. Well, well if you have two kids going to school, yeah. you know, and and they're gone at half eight in the morning or quarter past eight in the morning, and yeah. you have a laptop, a printer, a phone. Exactly, yeah. Most, and, and if your job is the kind of one that can be done from the kitchen table if you have good broadband, yeah. I don't see the problem with staying out for a while. No, exactly. Um, but a lot of jobs can't. So the job that I have can't be done remotely. It just physically can't. So that's fine if work can be done remotely, but it's not okay if it can't. And what I would hate to be in in a situation in September um, when I'm back working, um, and then just in that situation where you wake up, as you know, the night before your kid could have had a fever and they wake up fine in the morning and you're sitting there kind of going, last year I would have sent them in. Um, or your kid comes home and they have a bit of a sniffle and you say, last year they would have gone in. Now bear in mind as well, PJ, that legally in Ireland, a child can't miss more than 20 days of school a year. I was hoping you'd get to that point, yeah. Yeah, because that's our legal precedent to protect the child, to make sure they don't fall through the cracks. There's lots of really good reasons. But that law isn't COVID normal, is it? So, like, again... You'll have dozens of children. What you're saying is you'll have dozens of children mandatorily by their school referred to Tusla. But also, maybe they will be referred to Tusla, but but also as well, coming away from that... It's, it's going to be a very tricky decision for both the teachers and the parents because you'll be coming to your, the teacher and you say, like, look, like, for example, at the moment, I cough a lot, right? I'm asthmatic. And I met a friend in the park yesterday and the kids were kind of playing. They were cycling around. We're kind of doing that things. We got a big blanket. We sat down. 
you know, social distance, all the things that we're doing at the moment. It was so nice to see people, by the way. It was great. But, like, at the same time, I'd had an asthma attack the night before, and I had to say to her, like, look, the reason I'm coughing is I'm taking my inhaler. And she said, Rach, I know you're asthmatic. It's fine. So we're, we're already developing new considerations. We're developing new etiquette. Um, we, we are adapting and changing, and I it's part say, of normal. I agree with but you. I, I was government inside, have to think about yeah. these things before they open the school. It yeah. won't be good enough to say full reopening, teachers, employers, parents, work it out. Because there's not the support structure in place to help any of those three components work together well in an uncertain new normal. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I have to say, actually, I, I was in I was in super value recently. I won't say where the super value was. Yeah. And I get the occasional bout of hay fever. Right. And I, I, I sne- it was a beautiful sunny day, and I came yeah. in the door and I sanitized my hands, and I didn't have a, a face covering with me, but I pulled my t-shirt up over my nose right. as you're, and I, and I was going yeah, down getting yeah. me a few bits, and of course the hay fever stuck, and <laughs> I know, and you're mortified. And if I'd taken out a yeah. gun, they wouldn't have run further from me faster. Do you know what I mean? Tell me about it. I do. I try and t- I try and take my inhaler is now at night time so that I can get all the cough out of the way. <laughs> I know. So but that if I'm in you and I have my mask on because I know I'm going to cough right and because the mask makes it worse then and you're mortified you're like oh my god everyone's thinking that I have it now and I'm standing next to them you're embarrassed by it I know so but like, listen, we're, we're definitely adapting yeah. we, we definitely have a lot to plan for for the autumn and there's always great call thank you very much Rachel 185715996 what about parents who have to go back to work, their boss will say, right, you, come on, you've been, you've been dosing in the kitchen now for six months, come on, come on, come on, when they haven't actually been dosing, you know what I mean? Like, they're going to have problems if the schools are uncertain and childcare is uncertain. What are the working parents going to do? 1850-715-996. Mag says, I have to say the uncertainty about this is terrible. The Department of Health played a blinder. The Department of Social Protection played a blinder. But the performance of the Department of Education has been abysmal, to put it mildly. On the refer- getting referred to Tusla, which is the law, schools are mandatorily reported, or uh, they're, they're mandated to report to Tusla if a child missed more than 20 days in the year. There are times that can be dropped, but for the most part, it's mandatory. Lots of teachers, says Suzanne, won't be able to return due to underlying conditions uh, everyone's on about primary school, says Tom. It's just as difficult in secondary school. It's also not fair to put teachers under stress if they aren't looked after properly. Suzanne, again, I suspect schools will reopen with teachers treated as frontline workers. Reorganisation of school layouts required now, though. The chances are they'll be closed by Christmas again. Online teaching will become the norm at intervals throughout term. Well, I sincerely hope against hope that we won't all be closed down for Christmas again. I sincerely hope against hope. I'm not too sure that we won't, but I sincerely hope that we won't. 1850-715-996 on COMH. I'm annoyed listening to that lady giving out about COMH. I wouldn't have said... I wouldn't have said that, that Linda was giving out. Anyway, she should be so grateful that all's going well for her. No reason why she can't come home two days post-C-section. People go home now very soon after surgery. She needs to get on with it. What about all the people who died and had no visitors beforehand, only for restrictions that are in place? COVID-19 would be rampant in CUMH. See, 
It's a little bit of what about we there. We know that people have died and God bless every single one of them and, and may they all rest in, in, in peace and their families have our thoughts every single day. But for others, life must go on. And I don't think Linda was complaining. She's worried. She's concerned. She's entitled to voice those worries and those concerns. And she says that the people in the hospital have been exceptionally nice. So she wasn't really given out at all. 1850-715-996. Has anybody come across a situation where dentists aren't taking medical cards? Because with COVID-19, it isn't affordable. Has anyone been told about this by their dentists? 1850-715-996. There was something else. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. Something that's not in the programme for government. And it is annoying a lot of people that it's not in the programme for government. It's a thing called the Occupied Territories Bill. It came up in the course of the, the last doll and it got to a certain point. But it's gotten nowhere now and it's not mentioned in the new programme for government between Fine Gael Fine and the Greens. And a lot of people not happy about that. The person who started it and the person who got the ball rolling on it was Senator Frances Black. And I'll talk to her next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Remaining open for all your essential fuels with drive-in or seven-day delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. There's some more live stream shows coming up on the bars of Conakilty's Facebook page over the coming weeks, including Cork Folk Outfit Greenshine on June 21st and Casey Black on June 28th. Simply go to the West Cork Venues Facebook page to watch and for more information. It's been an eventful few years for the Frank and Walters with the release of their latest album, Songs for the Walking Wounded, and a European tour in celebration of the 20th anniversary of their second album, Grand Parade. Cork fans will have a chance to catch them again when they play what has become their annual Christmas gig, taking place at Cypress Avenue on December 18th. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. The last time we spoke, she was Senator Francis Black. The Senator's gone now, Francis, but the Occupied Terrorist. Ter- Territories Bill is still forefront in your thoughts. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, PJ? How are you doing? For listeners who won't remember the history, what is it, what's it about, and why is it so important? Okay, so I introduced the bill in January um, 2018, and the bill is a very, very important bill. I believe it's a historic bill. Um, It's a bill that seeks to end Irish trade in goods produced in the illegal settlements in the occupied 
territories. Now, now we're not talking about Israeli goods here. We're talking about goods produced in illegal settlements beyond Israel's border in Palestine. These settlements are totally illegal, PJ, under international law. They're actually war crimes. The UN, EU and Irish government keep saying they're illegal. But despite this, the settlements continue to be built on a daily basis, slowly taking Palestinian land. You know, they extract valuable natural resources and and, and agricultural produce, which are exported and sold around the world. So I believe this bill is vital. What kind of things would we not import if we were to invoke this bill? So it's it's very simple things like garden furniture, um, uh, vegetables. I mean, I think what comes in would probably be maybe anything from five hundred thousand to a million a year that comes in from from the the illegal settlements. Um, so really, what I can say here is that it's not going to impact us economically, but um, it's it's a huge dance. Um, you know, because look, uh, Palestinian families are being kicked out of their homes. All, you know, at the moment, um, I think it's fruit and vegetables that are uh, produced and exported. They pay for the occupation. So, we have to know that if we're buying these goods, we're supporting the theft of Palestinian land, and it just isn't right. Mm. Now, how far through the process did it get? Getting a bill uh, to become law takes time and takes effort. Yeah, I mean, well, we were we were doing really, really well um, with it in in the in the in the doll and in the Shannon. Um, the bill had been passed in full um, in the upper house in, in the Shannon, um, and it went into the. It passed a good few stages in the doll. Um, it went eight, it went through eight stages out of ten in total. So it was very, very close to the finish line, and then an election was called. Um, so. Look, you know, I, I, I've been working hard to keep it alive at this point now. <laughs> you were and an independent senator, Francis, but you had got some support from, I think, Fianna Fáil. Oh, yeah, Fianna Fáil introduced it and um, brought it into the doll. Niall Collins, who was the foreign affairs uh, spokesperson, um, it brought, he was the one that introduced it into the doll and was extremely passionate about this and did phenomenal work on it. Um, so I was really, really happy um, that Fianna Fáil, all of the opposition parties, Fianna Fáil, um, the Green Party, yeah. um, Sinn Féin, Social Dems, everybody was in support of this bill apart from Fianna Gael. So to find now that it's not in the programme for government... I was, I, w- I was disappointed. I, I will say I was disappointed, but... Um, I suppose having discussions with, with negotiators over the past day, I, I I do believe that there was a reluctance to take bold stances internationally, and they're, you know, they're conscious of what people in the EU or the UN will think if we're seen to rock the boat. And as you're aware, uh, PJ, there's a vote, big vote coming up today to get onto the UN Security Council. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think it would have been better and stronger for the government to take a clear stance. But now then again, the it, UN itself frowns on occupied territory. Well, yeah, exactly. I was over speaking at the UN last January, I think, or February of last year. Um, I was over there speaking to many different countries. They invited me over to speak. They've on spoken this against bill. it, like so. Why? Why would? This why? Bill, why would this not? This bill yeah. is, is so important. It's historic, and, and Ireland could lead on this. That's my, you know, this would be just like, um, you know, back in the 80s when, when, and it was exactly the same thing what happened in the 80s actually, um, where we had. Um, if you remember the the two women who refused to take the oranges um, 
Um, I remember it well. Do you remember that? I remember it well. One of them wrote and a book afterwards. I, I interviewed her about it, yeah. And um, and what happened was the exact same thing. The, the Attorney General back then said that this couldn't be done back in the 80s around South, South Africa, apartheid South Africa. Um, and then there was an election and then there was an Attorney General uh, changed and he said it could be done. But it was really the public support. It was the people of Ireland. And that's the one thing about the people of Ireland. They're, they're an incredible, you know, they, they don't like injustice. And there's a huge injustice happening um, at, at this time, particularly in, in the West Bank. And you know what's happening with annexation mm. at the moment. I've and, been and there. I've, I've, I've been there. I, I've, I've seen this moving wall. It's just awful. I mean, what's happening there at the moment? I mean, the, the deeply worrying agreement reached by Israel's new government to formally annex large parts of the West Bank. You know, coming in, coming up in July, it emphasises the need for EU states to ensure real accountability before it's too late. You know, and, and a refusal to, to economically support illegal settlements. Uh, it's the engine of the occupation and it's the driver of current plans. It's a peaceful, this bill is a peaceful, appropriate measure to oppose annex. And I just think, you know... Are you you wondering why all the people... You mentioned Niall Collins. I'll be speaking to Micheál Martin after 11 o'clock on the opinion line, and I'll put it to him. But are you you surprised that all the people who supported you pre-election have not played the part in getting this into the... The way I feel about it is, um, it's not gone. Um, you know, as I say, it's been backed by large majorities in the Shannon and the Dáil. It's been supported by the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs Committee. And, of course, the support among the Irish people has been incredible. And not only the Irish people, worldwide. Um, I suppose the, the, the agreement that was made yesterday or on Monday, you know, commits to ensuring respect for international law, to taking a more proactive approach, and this is important, okay. to national level measures to oppose annexation of the West Bank and the expansion of illegal settlements. Okay. Okay. So it's clear to me that we're going to see what happens in the region. And when the international community is looking for a response, these kinds of national measures, and I repeat that word, national measures, are a key part of it. And when deciding those national measures, I'm assured that party leaders take their past promises on this bill seriously. And I hope um, with all my heart, PJ, that Micheál Martin is a man of his word. Okay. All right, well, really, we'll, we'll, and I hope you will ask him. If I, I will ask him about it. I intend to ask him about it when he's on with me after 11 and, o'clock. And not forgetting Eamon Ryan, too. They both yeah. committed. They're both, they have both made past commitments, and they've taken those commitments very ser- seriously. Yep. And my, my hope is that I'll be bringing the, the bill. Um, well, my, I'm determined. I'm not hopeful. I'm determined that I'll be bringing the bill back in to move forward in the doll in, 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 in the coming months. Okay. All right, Francis. Thank you very much, Francis Black, 1850-715-996. Jess says, delighted to hear PJ discussing the Occupied Territories Bill. Uh, absolutely infuriated it's been dropped from the programme for government. But John says, Francis said the Irish people don't like injustice, so why do they vote for abortion? Oh, John, 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 John. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text or the WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Follow us on Twitter at OpinionLine96. Follow the hashtag, hashtag OL96. And you can send us a message also via Facebook, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Send us a message and mark it for the attention of the Opinion Line. And we will get back to you in the fullness of time. 
I've been waiting to talk to this man for a couple of days. Uh, if he actually does get into the Taoiseach's office, it might be hard to talk to him in the future, but we'll take him as we have him now. Michal Martin, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Now, it's a, a busy couple of weeks ahead. It's been a busy four or five months since the last election. But straight away, before I ask you anything, I want you to listen to a little piece of tape. It's very clear we're not going into um, a grand coalition. Uh, and, I, you know, I thought, again, we have to examine. I mean, for the last four to five months, here you have Leo Varadkar and Fine Gael attacking Fianna Fáil, demonising Fianna Fáil. And then high press to overnight, you know what? I, we want the government with Fianna Fáil. That doesn't make sense to the public. And yet you're doing it, Michal. Yes, and um, I think given everything we've been through, uh, I think there's a need for a government, PJ. I think COVID-19 has upended um, everything. We didn't get the results we wanted in the election. Um, and we have eight groups now in Dáil made up of a lot of independents and smaller parties. And so we have much more fragmented Dáil. Uh, and my view, I've consistently always said also that in the aftermath of a general election, one has to do one's best to put a coherent government together that can sustain and deliver for the people mm. over a five-year period and and that's the and in the context of COVID-19 and the terrible devastation it's had many families have lost their loved ones mm. uh, many people have become ill it's had a devastating impact on the economy we know that from the, our streets and the yeah. hospitality tourism thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs have, have been yeah. lost yeah. so I think we do without question need to address those issues but before the uh, election you you ruled out Fine Gael and you ruled out Sinn Féin but then you go with Fine Gael. Because, and, and you know, in, in relation to Sinn Féin, I've made my views known on a number of fronts, but I think on the policy front, there were very significant differences, um, and they remain. I think well, we, after the election, Sinn Féin made it very clear that they, they said the worst thing that could happen would be Fianna Fáil in government, and they wanted a, a government of the left. They, they, they endeavoured to form a government of mm. the left. They didn't publish a framework document with any policies or ideas. Mm. To they also said they would talk to anybody who would talk no, to them. They didn't, actually. Um, the, 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 in the first ten, 10 days, they were very strongly against uh, Fianna Fáil going into government and, and on polling day. And uh, no, I did write to, to Sinn Féin, uh, setting up my issues uh, with them. No, I didn't get a reply to that, but... Did you write After to them telling him you wouldn't talk to them? So I didn't say that. I mean, no, they didn't like that. No, they, I mean, I did speak to Mary Lou McDonald and I outlined the issues we had. Mm. You see, everybody who gets elected to Dáil has a mandate, but no one getting elected to Dáil has a divine right to government. You have to try and form common platforms mm-hmm. and policies. So what we then did was Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael produced a framework document with a, a, a general set of ideas as to how the country should move in the next five years. The Green Party was the one party that substantively... Who, who started that, that conversation, Michal? You know, who started the idea? of the framework document was it you or was it leo was it simon or was it michael who was it who came up with the idea of lads let's let's draw something up anyway well the first thing we did was we um agreed to have exploratory talks uh, and out of those exploratory talks came the idea of of framing a document that would be published and that would invite other parties um to 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 um engage the one party that substantively engaged was the green party and that then led to um um, full-scale negotiations um, and this, this has taken a long long time I mean it's it's historic the length of time it's taken to even get a program for government formulated and agreed uh, and given the complexity of it um, I think four, five or six parties trying to do it would have been impossible mm. uh, that's one lesson I took from it because uh, a lot of detail a lot of meetings and then with COVID-19 you have to space out the meetings um, so for the 
the negotiators, um, <laughs> it was fairly exhausting. So, so and, are, you, uh, are you saying to the... And the, we're getting a lot of people very cross with Jimmy Hall for, for, for doing this or for even thinking about it. Are you genuinely saying to people, this is the only way we could have formed a government? Yeah, I th- my very clear view is this is the only way we could have formed a government that would have lasted five years, that would have been sustainable, and that could respond to the economic crisis that we currently have. And it is a very big crisis, and there are enormous challenges out there, and we have to put party self-interest above those challenges. Or sorry, less below those challenges. The, the challenges go first. The country comes first, not the parties, is my point. And not the self-interest of parties shouldn't come first. And it has to be really to try and get coherent policies it's, it, that, that can respond to the crisis. And jobs is the big one. I mean, ma- many small to medium-sized companies are crying out for a government and want the government formed uh, so that decisions can be taken to try and help them keep viable and get back into back, back open again and get working again. The, the, because it's quite enormous what's what's happened out there um, yeah. as, as a result of COVID nineteen, and no, nobody could ever have for, nobody it, could know? ever have foreseen it. It changed the script forever, forever in a day. But but looking at the hundred and twenty odd pages of the the program for government, you all have to get it through now. Um, and yeah. it looks talking to the Greens this morning, talking to Lorna Bogue, who, by the way, is voting against it. The Greens look look dodgy as it is; they might not get it through. And there's quite a little rump of your own councillors. I spoke to uh, Deirdre Kelly yesterday morning, uh, and Eamon O'Keeve up, up up in the west of Ireland, leading a, a vote no campaign. Are you concerned that there's not a lot of there's quite an amount of displeasure in your own party with this document? Oh. I mean, it's quite natural. Uh, by the way, there's many, many councillors voting for it and articulating that as well. But uh, this is the first time in the history of the party that every member has a say and has a vote on a programme for government. I brought that and recommended that uh, change back in 2012 to uh, especially convene the Ardesh. Um, and that was, and that's, this is the first time this has happened. That's a good time. But that's going to, that's, that then is going to lead to a, a vigorous debate within the party. That's the purpose of it. Mm. Um, and, and that will happen. Uh, but the feedback we're getting uh, at the early days yet is positive and is strong in terms of both from grassroots members and indeed from, from, from elected representatives. Um, so I think it, it will, it, the next three to four days will be crucial. The ballot papers will be going out. Uh, to, to um, the members, uh, and I, you know, from a party political point of view, it's probably the largest um, such electoral exercise ever carried out. The Green Party have a high threshold of two thirds, um, and obviously they, they have, you know, that's a matter for them in terms of how they, they will persuade their members. But it is an enormously significant. Mm. Like if they don't, if they don't buy in, I mean, Finnegale. No, but but it's, a, it's a new opportunity. There's no one yeah. can question the fact that this is, is quite radical in relation to climate change. I mean, the outgoing situation was, I think we were looking at a 3.5% yeah. decline in greenhouse gas emissions. You're now looking at 7%. Yeah. Huge investment in, yeah. in, in greenways, cycleways and walkways. Yeah, which but if they don't, if, if well, they, then they'll, they'll, they'll decide what they'll decide. And I discussed that at length with, with Lorna Bogue this morning. And, and if they don't, if they don't bring it over the two-thirds majority, the whole thing is, is bunched again. You can't form a government. What happens then? Well, I think that we're in a full-scale political crisis, in my view, because it's taken a long time already uh, to even get to this stage. Yeah. Um, could, you could well have Michael D. Higgins telling Leo Bradker out at the, the Oris, I'm not dissolving this. You haven't tried everything. 
there are many scenarios that, that could happen um, as a result of this, uh, including um, a, a general election, including Michael Higgins, the president. I don't want to preempt what, what the president might do in such a situation. Um, but we don't want to get there. I, I think there is a need. I mean, my feedback from public, the public, apart from parties and everything else, is would you ever get on with it and form a government? That's the sense I have out there. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, and like climate change, is it's, it's time has come that we have to deal with a range of issues. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, the Green Party was pushing an open door personally. Um, I'm very strongly of the view that we have to move might and main uh, to deal with sustainable issue, sustainability issues for the younger generations to come. Uh, and that's why it's very important that an ambitious programme for government of this kind would be supported. Yeah. And yet the Greens say, right, some of the Greens say it doesn't go far enough. It, go, it goes, this, is, this to me is a historic opportunity. Uh, in terms of the, the entire climate change agenda um, and in terms of issues like wind energy, for example, in terms of retrofitting. Mm. I mean, the Carbon Fund will create the opportunity uh, to retrofit over uh, half a million houses over the next 10 like years. Like rail which, for Cork? Which will create, like rail for Cork is in there. Which well, it's not in there. There's no uh, commitment to it. Oh, oh sorry, there's, it is. Uh, there's a commitment. Sorry, there's a commitment in terms of the regional cities to develop public transport initiatives and light rail, obviously, and that would be Cork and Galway and others. Obviously, it's at a very early stage. It's a commitment to talk about it. Like. Sorry, it's only a commitment to talk about it. It's not a commitment to do it. It's a commitment to set the ball rolling in relation. I mean, there will be, there will be a lot of planning in, in relation to that. Mm. Uh, I think there's, I mean, in terms of there's a very substantial budget for greenways, for example, uh, cycleways, um, and in terms of pedestrian walkways. And I think there's great opportunities for Cork in that mm. regard. And I will be saying to the city council and the county council, you know, to, to start accelerating plans in that regard because yeah. the quality of life issues are important but also in terms of people's access into the city into towns okay. in a safe way and I think people want that What about um, what, what people also want and uh, if we now have and the scenario may pan out and I'm, only, I'm saying it you don't need to respond having a Taoiseach uh, and two cabinet members possibly two other cabinet members in one constituency like if you can't deliver an event centre out of that Michal, you might as well pack up the tent and go home uh, all things local, PJ. Um, yes. Tip O'Neill uh, was right. Sorry? Tip O'Neill was right. Look, um, I've, I've had experience in government in the past, um, and we did manage to, to deliver very significant projects for Cork. The, the entire maternity hospital uh, under my watch when yeah. I was in health and the cardiac regional, yeah. renal facility and you get school the event music. Center? And so on, and I think we we want the event centre to happen, of course. Uh, and I think, to be fair to the Ogoan government, they did uh, so you know allocate additional funding. It's taken a long, long time, um, and um, we're, we're very committed to, to, to ensuring it happens. Um, but obviously, the the whole um, hospitality sector and and that entire industry. Uh, it, it, it's very unclear now in terms of the, the, the COVID-19, what will happen in the short term. Yeah. But hopefully we can get med- medicines like that, uh, the steroid yesterday that was developed. Or yeah, the dexamethasone. Yeah. Yeah. Like the key to all of this in economic recovery okay. is how we deal with COVID-19 and how we respond in the interim period. Yeah, the end of the, I don't see the event centre in the... Maybe I missed it. In but the, look, not every project is in the programme for government, PJ. You know? I mean, we've been waiting for this down here for a long, long time. I know, now, yeah, but know. in programmes for government, you'd have, a, you'd have a thousand pages if we were to put in every project across the country. I don't mean that in a facetious way. Yeah, but I mean, it's, but it's in, just, your, in, your, in your own constituency, it would have been nice to see it in there. 
But it's, it, but it's there. I mean, the, 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 there's no issue about it. You know, yeah, in terms okay. of the the funding has been the funding has been allocated, right. um, and um, it, it, it's a matter of going through the process now. You well, know. Why why have ye dropped the uh, occupied territories bill? That they were Niall Collins, your own Niall Collins, brought it into the yeah. Dáil in the first place. Why? Why has it disappeared? Well, basically, we couldn't get agreement on it. Now, as a, we, there was broad agreement in terms of Middle East policy and in terms of um, Ireland has always historically supported the Palestinian right to a homeland. We've supported an end to occupa- illegal occupation uh, and land grabs and so on and set new settlements. Um, and we favoured, above all, a, a two-state solution. Mm-hmm. Now, what the issue then is how best do you go about that and how best do you try and pressurise and create public profile around it, the necessity, in my view, for Israel to adopt a far more moderate approach. Yeah, but so the bill the was issue. there, it was written, it was it ready. Is, but look, it, the bill, and I met the advocates of the bill, both people... Your own party brought it into the dawn. We, we did to help people who asked. We wanted to create pressure on Israel uh, in relation to the Occupied Territories Bill. The Attorney General's advice, uh, and I've read that, uh, is, is very... Um, saying it's, it, it, that it's a EU trading competence, trade competency and so on. But the key issue is and in our program for government, um, I think one of the more important provisions is to honour our commitment to recognise the state of Palestine as part of a lasting settlement of the conflict or in, advance, or in advance of that, when we believe doing so will progress efforts to reach a two-state solution or protect the integrity of Palestinian territory. Now, that, to me, is, is significant uh, and would be a stronger position than the bill itself. The bill itself, to me, is, strong, is largely symbolic. I don't think operationally it could ever have happened, but it would have been an important symbolic message to, to Israel. So you don't, you to don't think it could have ever happened, even though your own party supported it in the dog? Because we wanted to create stronger pressure in public in relation to a change of policy in... Uh, Hang on, from, but from you just Israeli said that you, 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 your party brought something into the doll, Michal, that you yourself thought could never happen. No, I didn't say that. I said that it would be difficult to operationalise. It could, you can pass legislation, you can seek to enforce it, but it would have created challenges in terms of enforcement, and we acknowledged that at the time. But uh, there was a lot... Of, we, we, look, I've been very supportive across the board of the need to get to a two-state solution and to stop the continuing... Um, you know, new settlements that, are, that the Israeli government are developing. Yeah. Because what's been happening over the last number of years, and I was a foreign minister myself, I went to Gaza during the conflict in 2009. I remember I that. a few European ministers to speak out. Ireland has always taken a strong position on this. We're strong supporters of the United Nations. All parties in the Dáil are agreed on the fundamentals in relation to, 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 to Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The issue is what's the best mechanisms to do that. We couldn't get agreement among the three parties. Okay, well, well Gael didn't agree parties. because... Yeah, yeah. Gael didn't agree. Of, yeah, that's the, the, Greens, the Greens are up for it. And your, so many members of your own party are up for it. it too, but the legal, the legal issue but is... That's, a two, that's, that's two to one. That's no, two to one. It should be in there. PJ, PJ, the legal issue is not to be dismissed either. Okay. And that's just the reality too. Right. Uh, and we can't just ignore it. Okay. And, you know, it is a broad program for government. And we're not going to get agreement on every single issue. Okay. It's three parties coming together with different perspectives and different strategies and approaches to different issues. Okay. But the common position is among the three parties. And I think that section that I read out there is significant uh, because actually that's, uh, you know, uh, an area that Israel would, would be 
very opposed okay. to. Um, and um, look, overall, I wish, and I'm very unfortunate, I'm very pessimistic about that entire situation because it's become okay. it's getting worse and worse, okay. and the chance of a two-state solution is receding unless unless something dramatic happens. Couple, couple of other things that are coming up: uh, the North Ring Road, the Cork Limerick Road. The Greens seem to have no interest whatsoever in a Cork Limerick Road. Is, is that put on the back burner forever now? No, it's not. No, um, um, and in fact, you know, we've been very clear that the Cork Limerick Road. Uh, has to to, to to go ahead um, and um, because it opens up an entire economic corridor there for North Cork and even in, 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 into the Kerry border and, and is important. Mm. And what about the North Ring? Uh, the North Ring is already part of existing road. Any, you know, the existing road projects and so on will be, you know, over time funded, obviously within the framework of the National Development Plan. Um, and um, Dunkettle is, is the first immediate priority, um, and that has had its um, issues, you know, in terms of delays and costings and so on. Uh, but that is the, that is the big, the key number one priority in the yeah. short term. Obviously, the planning will continue with 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 um, Cork Limerick, and the work is continuing there. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem to be any sign of delivering it, though. You know. No, there is. I mean, the TII. I mean, the Greens have said they're opposed to it. Yeah, but there's look, there's compromises along the way, but on those, on that particular project, we we held the line in relation to that. Okay. Now the Debenhams workers, and you, you've they've they've been contacting us this morning, asking me to ask you, if you are the incoming Taoiseach, do you support their fight for a fair deal from their former employer? I do indeed, and I think we're going to have to change legislation to stop what happened there. Um, now that may not, you know, in terms of the separation from assets, from from, from trading income, uh, and 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 then uh, undermining the right of workers to get a just compensation. And we heard that after Vita Cortex, Michal, that rules would change, and you know. But I, I, I'm, I, this is our chance to go into government now. We're saying it's yeah. in the program for government and it's something we have to do. And I've discussed this with Michael McGrath as well. Um, and, you know, we'll work with the social partners in relation to that as well um, because it's unacceptable what happened. Um, and um, particularly the opportunity was taken during COVID-19 to do it. And um, it, it, it's very, very unfair to the workers. Okay. And the state will have to obviously do the statutory on the side of it, but the, the company... Um, should have honoured its obligations in, in terms of the redundancies, uh, okay. particularly to staff who served them loyally. Have you any powers at the moment to make them do it, or will you have any we, powers? We don't have strong powers at the moment, if I'm, if I'm honest, but we can. There are, we will try every mechanism that's available. Okay. Um, now, pressure on the company. Caller has been working with the elderly for mm. many years, wants me to ask you about the home care package and whether there is a funded alternative to nursing homes. There would be less people in hospital, less people needing step-down mm. care, give elderly people a bit of dignity to make choices for themselves. They deserve that. Yes, there's provision in the programme for government to introduce a statutory home care um, fair deal scheme uh, that would give the choice um, for people to either stay at home as opposed to uh, having to go into a nursing home. Um, and uh, and Willie O'Dea was the first, I think, to uh, publish legislation for that. <clears throat> All three parties now are, are, are agreeable to that. Obviously, again, COVID-19 has revealed a lot in terms of you know the challenges that nursing homes face and the need for options and the need for choice. Yeah. Um, but it will take time. But it, You it, mentioned the COVID-19 in relation to the nursing homes. We've been saying this here on this programme for a couple of weeks and we wouldn't be alone in it. A lot of questions will need to be answered as to why a thousand people died in our nursing homes. Will you commit to inquiring into whether a better job could have been done? 
Well, there will be a review of, of all of that. And um, I think it has to be said that obviously something of that scale has to be uh, examined with a view to making sure that we can do better if mm. another crisis arose. Because we know that there was a fight between the nursing homes and Neffet in the, in the very early weeks of this yeah. where the nursing homes wanted to lock down. Neffet said that's not our advice yet. The nursing homes as well as Shagget were, were, were locking down anyway. And then people are dying in their droves in our nursing homes. Something went drastically wrong and as incoming Taoiseach you, you, people will look to you to go, Michal, what happened? And is anyone going to get sacked for it? Well, I, look, I, I, I'm going to be balanced here. I think it has to be looked at. But um, when a crisis like this hits, it's unprecedented. Um, the people involved do their best. Uh, I think that has to be acknowledged. There's nobody setting out in the middle of a crisis to do harm to anybody. Uh, judgment calls are made. I think if you remember at the beginning of the crisis, uh, I, it seems to me what happened was, and I, I know it myself because we were inundated with, with medical intensivists and people worried about the would the hospital system be able to deal with COVID-19 because we saw what happened in Italy and was beginning to happen in London where hospitals were being overwhelmed and particularly the intensive care departments and many patients were moved out of hospitals and, and quite a number into nursing homes without proper testing you know mm. looking back at it and I said in the doll errors were made errors yeah. will always be made like we did let death. people out of the nursing homes here without a test back yes. into, or sorry, out of hospitals into, without a test. Like, who allowed that to happen? Yes, but what I believe should happen, though, in the middle of a crisis, PJ, and there, there will be a future crisis. It could be a public health crisis. It could be other types of crisis that happen. The last thing you want is that the people who are in the middle of that crisis working, uh, looking over their shoulders saying, uh, oh, there'll be an inquiry coming, I better do X, Y, and Z and play safe. Um, what I mean by that is like, people have to take action, they have to make judgment calls to the best of their ability of course you have to review this, we have to look at this with one reason not, I'm not into the blame situation more than I'm into saying well how can we do it better yeah. uh, and how can we make sure that this wouldn't happen again and that's why when you mentioned the statutory home care deal, that's the point of that really this is now going to accelerate well are there a range of options in terms of how we look after our senior citizens for example, I, I've come across, even during the election in some parts of the country, some very innovative schemes where you had different levels of care within a, an overall housing complex. So you had senior citizens living independently in the complex uh, with some maybe caretaking and a bit of support, then moving into more dependency type care and then ultimately into a nursing home type facility, all within the one complex. So we need a continuum of care. Ideally, we need to support families to maintain and look after their loved ones, senior citizens, yeah. in the home as long as we possibly can. Would you accept uh, that COVID-19 has, has exposed glaring problems in the system? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but also it has showed, shown us how, under pressure and in a crisis, we can move very innovatively. Yeah. Like I would pay tribute to the medical community. Like in Cork, I'm conscious <clears throat> that, for example, in terms of oncology, uh, they were able to move some regular oncology treatments to the university, or the, the university, to the nursing degree ward where, where they, the nurses train ordinarily. Um, and also, you know, things like fracture clinics being moved and people move very quickly. Yeah. Outpatient clinics were yeah, moved out of the hospitals. Now, now I'm, glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that, as they say, because we're going to be facing into an autumn, a winter, where the... the, the uh, what do we call it? The waiting lists that were there before COVID are yeah. going to be even longer. That's why we insisted on the program for government that the treatment purchase fund would be um, enhanced mm. to to really move quickly to try and get waiting lists down. Would you consider holding um, on to the private hospitals for another couple of months and force well, a massive treatment purchase 
programs yeah, I, well, I wouldn't hold on to that at a cost of 115 a month but what I would do is I would leverage their capacity in a contractual way and get the treatments done there okay. uh, and, and, and maximise the use of those hospitals to get the treatments done um, because people can't wait years for hips for cataracts uh, for various routine operations or indeed diagnostics people can, uh, people can I guess they can read the programme of government and at, at their leisure and I've no doubt that they will and the vote will happen and whatever but there's a very interesting story going around here this morning it says councillors in Fianna Fáil Fianna Gael and the Green Party who are being asked to back the programme for government are in line for a pay rise of just under eight eight grand next year as part of the deal in other words vote for this and your pay goes up ah lads no, the, the Moorhead report has been there long before the election. It's gone on for about the last 12 months, 15 months. This is an ongoing issue in terms of councillors and local government itself. Um, and it, look, it's, it, it has gone through enormous challenges, PJ. Um, and anyone who's led a party, for example, you know, we've, we've, councils have left councils because it's just not sustainable for them. It's very difficult for people in certain workplaces to to become members of councils. My view is local democracy is under challenge and under threat, and there is a need to empower it, and there is a need to make it sustainable for people. It's, it's, it's gone way above and beyond the level of work that was involved 10 years ago or 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, and many councillors are now full-time, not all, but many are, across the country. And, um, mm. you know, I've noticed that in the last, now we got some very good people through, but there was a lot of people we wanted to get through. And many women, for example, find it, you know, difficult to con- consider going into local government um, because of the, d- the demands of office and because of competing issues if they're working part-time or whatever. Um, so there are issues there that we can't ignore um, and I, I do believe local democracy is extremely important but it's becoming more and more onerous on, on, on the representatives. Okay. Well look we will see what happens in the fullness of time we've got to get it through your party and Eamon Ryan has to get it through his and Leo Vradka has to get it through his and then we'll see. So when are the ballot papers Back, Michal. I feel back towards the end of next week, uh, PJ, in our situation. So it's very tight. It's a very tight timeline. Yes. And, and uh, when will the result of your vote be announced? We'll all announce them together on the Friday, I think. Yeah. On the Friday. Yeah, okay. next Friday, Friday week. Yeah. Right. Will you sleep in between now and then? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, I have to try and get. I have to get more sleep in. You know. Right. Just finally, uh, pension age. Yes. Um, people, all you heard, all we heard was no change to 67 this year. Yeah, well, the, 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 it was in legislation that January coming, if you, that the pension age was going to go to 67. Uh, that will not now happen, and that will come out of the legislation. And then a pension commission will be established um, to look at the broad issue of pensions and their sustainability into the future, to looking at peer-related, PRSI, and the whole lot, because um, there, are, there are issues without question, medium term, and how we continue to have enough revenue to pay pensions and so on. So those issues have to be looked at. And pending that, then, uh, the, the situation remains as it is or remains unchanged. For 65, those reaching the age of 65 who are required to retire, um, they will... Um, they will not have to sign on now for job seekers mm-hmm. like they had to, and they will get a pathway pension, um, which would be um, the same as as as, 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 well, as job seekers. Just, why couldn't we just put it back to what it used to be, rather than this silly little pathway pension? What? That's nonsense. That's nonsense. It's not. Look, that's been the way for quite some time. We had a transitionary pension in two thousand fourteen. Ah, yeah, but I was, like, was got rid of at the time. Um, 
and in my view there are look other things that should happen as well i mean in the public service for example you can now work until you're 70 not all of them avail of that um but we need to end the discrimination that's going on as well on the other side of the story where contracts outlaw if you like people from working beyond 65 uh, we're all living longer pj as a society uh, much much longer than we would have 20 years ago um, and there are issues. There's no point in that we can't be saying to people if it's as simple as going back to where we were. It's not. Yeah, but, um, but, well, no, by the time, living longer or not, by the time any one of us is 65 stroke 66, yeah. right, and have been working in this country since we were in our late teens, early 20s, we've been ploughing in our taxes and our fairest for the bones of 40 years. We're entitled to our couple of bones. Yes, we are. But, but we've more than know, earned it. Yeah, I'm not disputing that at all. But if you look at the numbers, you know, we, we were relatively, we've been a relatively young population compared to the rest of Europe. The, the, when I say living longer, what that basically means is the numbers who will be availing of old age pensions in 10 years' time and 20 years' time will be far in excess of anything that we've ever experienced before. It's a good thing in the sense that we're all living healthier and longer. No, when I say we, like not everybody, obviously, and uh, but as a proportion... Living healthier, living longer is not much yeah. use if you're broke, and certainly I, well, that, I for one, don't want to live to, to work till I'm 70. I don't want to work till I'm 70. I know, I, uh, yeah, I know that, but some do, but not everybody does. I get that. But, but the point I'm trying to make to PJ is we've got to make sure we can sustain that. That's the point I'm trying to make. And that might mean, being honest with people in terms of pay-related, PRSI and all of that, um, you know, that's, th- 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 there are issues there. That we, because we've never adequately provided for private pensions in Ireland. Yeah. We never have. Yeah, your own pensions are grand and secure. Yeah, I bet that public service pensions are in a better position. I, I acknowledge that. Um, I'm not seeking that anytime soon uh, and haven't, um, but I, I do acknowledge it. That, that is valid. That's why I would be interested in getting a proper pension system okay. for the self-employed. And that's why, the, and we'll be asking the Pension Commission to look at both the self-employed as well and making sure that they, they have access to whatever emerges. And also that in the private sector, the auto-enrollment, was, the last government were rolling that out. Um, that's important as well. Um, and there's been a number of failed attempts by successive governments yeah. to get a proper pension framework in place to sustain people in their in the later stages of life well, other countries have stronger social insurance schemes from the and have had them since world war ii which has involved higher inputs from people and employees and employers generally ireland never quite got to that stage okay one last thing and yeah the councillor's pay rise has has um got our listeners going a little bit i want like isn't it i know you said that report's been around for a while but isn't it kind it's of interesting? Yet. It hasn't been published yet. Yeah, maybe. but isn't it kind of interesting that it, it it arrives this morning into the news cycle as you need votes around the country? Well, I wouldn't have. I mean, it's important for government that the Moorhead report would be implemented in the next twelve months. Um, but I haven't seen the report myself. Um, I have. I've been given indications that it talks about reforms of of, of, of local government and so forth. Um, and I, I, I believe recommends additional remuneration, okay. but I haven't seen the details of it. All right. Okay. We'll leave it there because we've been on for nearly half an hour. And thank you for that very much, uh, Michal Martin, leader of Finnegal. Finnegal. See, I'm, I'm getting confused already. Finnegal. <laughs> There's a new name, leader of Finnegal. And uh, at this stage, if all goes to plan. The next Taoiseach, we'll see, 1850 715 I could be asking him all, we could be here till four o'clock with all the questions that you've been um, popping into us. Interestingly enough, we've had loads of engagement on the Occupied Territories Bill, um, but none about direct provision.
None about homelessness and none about climate change. Which is interesting. Uh, a lot of people thinking that the Occupied Territories Bill would have been left out to make sure because there's a vote in the UN today and tomorrow as to whether we get into the Security Council. Could that have had something to do with it? 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Remaining open every day for all your laundry needs. Selfservicelaundry.ie. This is Corks Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Corks 96FM. Joined by PJ Kirby and Kevin Toomey, uh, the two lads behind a podcast called I'm Grand Ma'am, <laughs> which is just about the right way to say it, isn't it, lads? Exactly. Yeah. You got it in one, girl. Got it in one. <laughs> this podcast has been beavering away quietly in the corner, building an audience, while you two lads came up with the idea, How? Do you want to take it, Kev? Um, so basically, one time we got this idea that we'd start like our own gay club night in London because we kind of been going out where we live in East London. We were kind of thinking the laugh wasn't half as great. Do you know what I mean? We wanted more of an Irish vibe on a night out. Yeah, like a Kaylee, but like a gay, gay version. Gaily. Gaily was yeah. like our idea. But then we realised we didn't really have a load of friends. <laughs> we are like... It might just be the two of us at it, which would be a bit weird. So we were like, and then we kind of were mad for the chat and we love kind of hosting in our house, like pre-drinks and stuff. And then um, we kind of just bought a microphone for 50 quid on Amazon and we just kind of went with it, didn't we? Wasn't yeah, that it? so we said we were like, we do a podcast and say it. We just wanted to do something. Yeah. We were twiddling our thumbs. So we ended up <laughs> get doing, we went on um, a trip to Budapest and on the flight we were like, okay, Let's do a podcast and then come up with the name. Yeah, we were locked. We were having a lot of red wine on the flight. Where did the name come from? Like, to the gassest one. I'm grandmam. <laughs> that is basically comes from, like, because we used to be always on the phones to our mams. And, like, no matter how bad of a day we had or how good of a day we had, we'd always just say we're grand. And yeah. it's just such an Irish thing that yeah. we thought, like, why not just call it I'm grandmam? Because we're both weak for our mams as well. Yeah. yeah. Now you're standing there in the middle of Storm Ophelia, like or the whole of London is locked down around you. I'm grand man. I'm grand man. Exactly. Because yeah, otherwise, otherwise they'd be up to 90 worrying about us. So it's just easier, you know, to say I'm grand like. Which they are anyway, like. Yeah. Anyway. So, so two gay lads from Cork living in London decide to set up this little podcast and then it starts to grow. Mm. So when the red wine wore off, <laughs> right? When then did you realise we're onto something here? I think when we posted the first episode, we were just getting, we thought all our friends would listen, right? But then, like, some randomers were sent to us and we were like, yeah, unreal. And then we just kept going and then it just kept building. I think for me, it was when I was back in Cork and someone was like, Are you PJ? <laughs> and I was like, What? And they were like, You PJ from my grandma? And I was like, Yeah, girl. I was weak for myself. And I remember I was with my boyfriend as well and he was like, did you pay her to do that? And I was like, no, she knows me from the podcast. That's literally like, because obviously over here, we don't know a huge amount of people. So no one's, like obviously our You're friends. You're like we're loners in London. <laughs> well, like outside of our close circle of friends, like not many people, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, have, we do have a fair we amount of friends. We have some friends. We have some friends. Um, but it's, yeah, it's kind of when we go back to Cork really, or if we got a message, like you said, from someone 
who we don't know at all. I remember we got a message from a fella living in Hawaii, and I was thinking, what the heck? Yeah. Imagine someone just lying up on the beach in Hawaii listening to us, and like, not he wasn't Irish or anything, but he was gay, and he was like, oh my God, having such a laugh off the podcast. We were like, what? That's crazy. And he bought a T-shirt since. Because, you see, it's, it's kind of the... Going back, the, the Pebble Dash one, right? In your name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the podcast opens like thing I'm going to talk about racism and Black Lives Matter and how to be anti-racist, and that's grand. Then you're talking about bloody Pebble Dash. Like, it goes where it goes. But that's, but that's the thing, like, we, it's so random. My mom always says we can't stick to one topic, but, like, we always have a team to keep us on track. And yeah. it's, but with us as well, when we're talking about really hard stuff, like, being more anti-racist, if we're talking about, like, mental health, we also, just because the way we deal with anything is through humour, so yeah. we always end up going onto something random like Pebble Dashing and talking about how every man in Ireland got obsessed with it there for a while, yeah. and how every house in Ireland is Pebble Dashed. Yeah. But then over in England, they'd say, what What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, we have to, sometimes in the podcast, we have to be like, oh, wait, our English listeners don't know. Aren't going to have a clue about what we're on about, really. So we explain then. So we kind of have to, or even, like, because a lot of the like the talk that we have like we use a lot of cork slang even like we mm. say a lot of people and it's kind of it's cool because a lot of people will message us and they start using the words uh like that we've been using like we always say weak we always say up to 90 up to 90 gaff we basically talk like irish mammies <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing we sit down we just kind of have a cup of tea like at our kitchen table here it all kind of just started like, like is there any plan is there an episode plan um, kind of. We didn't at the start. We kind of yeah. just winged it. And then, kind of, as more people started listening, we were like, Christ, we'll have to actually put a bit of thought into yeah. this. But it kind of, because everything's quite organic. So sometimes if we plan it out too much, then and if we know what we're going to talk about, like... It feels like less, like, normal. Yeah, like, it feels a bit more contrived, you know what I mean? So we prefer to just wing it. Contrived, that's it. I'm the brains behind the operation. <laughs> normal. It feels like normal, do you know what I mean? You're normal. <laughs> It actually sounds like two lads going further down a large bottle of Prosecco. <laughs> we've never done an episode where we've been locked. We've done we? one episode of Christmas where we had a few mulled wines. We had a few drinkies and we had a few butler's chocolates. Yeah. Did you do one in it. town Did you, at Christmas time? You did one yeah, in... so we did, when we came back, we did we did one, we did live shows. Because I'm skipping, we were doing the podcast about a week. And <laughs> we were like, we'll do a tour. So we done like a live show in London. Then we did... How did the London one go? Unreal. We were up in a heap, obviously, because it was like our first show and we were like, we had to book a venue and stuff. And we really kind of didn't think about it. We kind of jumped before we looked, really. And we were like, well, we've sold feckin' tickets now, so we kind of have to do it. <laughs> and obviously, like we said, like there was our like close group of friends from London who bought tickets. But then there was just a load of... And there was English people at it as well. Yeah. But a lot of it was like... it's. I suppose there's a lot of like expats listening to it who a lot of our stuff like resonates with, you know what I mean? So they're, and they love even being abroad, I suppose, and having the Cork accent in their ears, do you know what I mean? And when you walk out and see a crowd like that, and like you said, a podcast was up a wet week, like, how, what's that like? I was bawling. We were Because at the end of the show, like, so obviously we were nervous, so we, we, had, we had the gin and tonic. We had gin and tonic on the go. And then at the end of it, we got a standing ovation, and me and Kevin were just hugging each other, and it was it was a pure moment, wasn't it? Yeah, we were buzzing, but we were wrecked as well. Oh, wrecked. And afterwards, we ended up, we, had to, we talked to, like, every single one of them because we were so grateful that they came. That was the thing. So, like, there's a bar at the front, and we were like, oh, my God, when else in your life, when you're in London, would you have just a room full of a load of young Irish people up for the laugh? We'd escape, didn't yeah, we? we I'll, I'll buy a new drink. 
<laughs> at London prices like lads and then you came back didn't you do one with Kyla from yeah, Ballycolic we love Kyla she's such a skiss like we're like we, it was just unreal because it gave us an excuse to meet her in person as well because we'd be always messaging her because yeah. she was on the show with me and then she ran away down and she was going to be on with you that night and she said afterwards it was just demented like yeah, she's mad, isn't she? We would laugh at her. We tried to set her up as well. We did like a blo- We kind of, because we didn't really know what to chat about, then we were just going to have the chats because I suppose like she's living away from home as well or whatever. We were like, oh, we'll just have a chat. And then halfway through, we were like, feck it, will we do a blind date? So like, where does it go from here? You had the big one then a couple of weeks ago where you got Connell from normal people. Now, mm-hmm. how did that get set up? So um, we hit Paul. This Paul's man was listening, wasn't she? Paul, no, Paul's agent was listening to us. His agent over here, who's not Irish, um, Lara, she's lovely. Yeah. Um, she got him onto it, and then we kind of saw before the series ever came out that this fella started following us. We had the blue tick next to his name on Instagram. We we're going, "Who's your man?" Then he's pure fancy with the blue tick. So we we're like, obviously checked him out, and it said that he. We both read the book, and it said that he was. Connell and normal people, but I hadn't aired yet. Yeah. And then we kind of put out the feelers in the net. We were both watching the series and we were like, come here, we'll have to have man as a guest. Wouldn't it be a scream if we got him on? And then it's just like, Jesus, the power of positivity and putting that out there. Like, cause then we got an email from his agent saying, like, oh my God, we'd love to make this happen. Yeah. And he wanted to come on. We were weak then. Yeah. Kevin was more weak, like, he was weak for him. But I was just <laughs> in love with the whole thing, you know, the book and the series and the, everything, the chain and all the bits. So I was like in my element. <laughs> Weak, as they say. Weak. <laughs> and that went we well. We have to and do a few more guests like that. Yeah. So since then we've gotten on um, Sharu, which is like she's like mental health um, behavioural specialist, and she that was lovely as well. Yeah. Um, but then we just be waffling the ears off each other half the time. Yeah. So when we do get a guest on, they can't get a word in us anyway. So. <laughs> What's it been like in in lockdown in London? It, it was. So weird, because, like, obviously London's, like, you're usually, like, piling into a tube together or, like, we're always on the go, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, always doing bits. And then it's just, like, everything just stopped and we were, like, it was, like, the apocalypse hit over here. Yeah. But then the government wasn't really giving a shit either, so it was, like, we didn't yeah. know what was going on. Yeah. What do you think about us? Oh, Lars, you He's so obviously, like, we spoke about him before as well. He's just a bit of a gum, isn't he? He's just like an English version of Trump, isn't he? Kind of as well. Like, what's going on with us? I don't know. I just think if he, even if he got, at least got a haircut, you know what I mean? That's the thing. The hair is the thing that I can't get over as yeah, well. Yeah, that's Never mind kinda... the policies. It's the, <laughs> yeah, it's the hair. That's the most annoying thing. <laughs> Never mind the policy. Look at the hair. <laughs> Yeah, no, we would have been, I would have been lost without Kevin now in lockdown, to be fair. We yeah. No, we killed each other. We were killing each other at the start because even though we're best friends and stuff, obviously we're in the gaff the whole time together then. And see, PJ was working away from home. I'm being furloughed from work. Like, I work in a gym usually. I'm a spin instructor if you ever wanted to, if you ever over in London wanted to join in on a class. Um, <laughs> but so I was a bit like, oh, I was doing nothing. I felt pure useless because PJ was doing, he was still working away. And I was like, oh my God. So I was, you know reading a book and learning a bit of Spanish and that was about it so it was a bit tough at the start but then I was like actually this is like a glorified holiday a small bit obviously it's awful and people are dying and all the bits but like yeah. got boring though I'd say yeah pure yeah. boring but like we you know what it's kind of for the most part I suppose we've been able to dedicate a lot of time to this you know what I mean yeah, yeah exactly we got to do like and as well I don't think like like we were so lucky to get Paul on the show but I, I, I say he would have been so busy with the launch of normal people we wouldn't have even got him on yeah. if lockdown didn't happen if lockdown didn't happen yeah we probably wouldn't have 
So like mind. there is a silver lining in all this. Yeah, like. silver lining. So plans for the future, guys. The stars are now lining up to be interviewed on I'm Grand Ma'am. <laughs> so what's next? We'd never clue, to be honest. No. Where we'd just be taking it taking it a day at a time, because if we look at it like we all we have loads of plans, like we'd want to get more guests on, we want to do more live shows, definitely, because we love like Have you a dream guest? Dream guest. Um I always say this, but I'd love Graham Norton. I think he'd be laughed to have a chat like someone that was just pure kind of like... Irish and from yeah, as well. I don't know, dream guest. I don't know, I'm kind of... We're definitely going to get our mams on. Our mams on to be a laugh, yeah. Because they need to... And they started featuring the podcast more now. And, like, they're getting a bit confident. Yeah, we have, like, an agony and section with them at the end. People write in, like, if they're having any, like, you know, troubles or whatever. And their mam, our mams give their advice on it. So once they get a bit more confident then with that, we'll have man as, like, a proper guest situation. Yeah. But what, what other guests? I don't know. Yeah, go on. You have to know. You said Who Lady would I want on as a guest? Um, Michael D. Higgins would be his guest. Do you know what? He'd nearly do it too. Would I he? think he'd do it do as well. So. And I think he's... You know what? I'm actually mad about him. I think he's so cute. I love his dog. I love his wife. I was going to say, I love the dog as a guest. The dog's the dog. adorable. The dog's done it. There's two dogs, boys. There's two dogs. Oh, is there two dogs? I only yeah. know the one from the video. <laughs> there's, there's one is always with him, you see. Oh, oh right, yeah. and there's another dog. Yeah, him, and I love that he is a bit of Irish and he's pure passionate about the arts and stuff. So I think he'd be lovely. Yeah, and Lady Gaga. And Lady Gaga. We of love, course. We love the new album. Have you been playing much of it on the radio? Not much on this show. Okay. Oh, We don't do much music that. on yeah, this show. Yeah, we need to get a bit more Gaga, PJ. We don't do much much music on this show. Guys, it's, it's a pleasure to catch up. Um, the question that I was asked to ask you, like, you are just friends, isn't that right? And we were friends before we were bought out as yeah, well. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Oh, now, yeah. Kevin was obsessed, but like now he's just friends, so it's fine. Gotcha. We met because PJ was I was doing dance lessons with PJ um in the karate club in Shandon Street in Cork. And then he moved over. We were both dancers, and then we both yeah. moved over here kinda to pursue the S kind of situation. Yeah. Well, like sisters. Sisters, yeah. Sisters. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, Listen. just because we're gay doesn't mean we'd be hopping off each other at all. <laughs> I didn't say that. It's just what you were insinuating. <laughs> just curious, like, you know. Lads, it's, been, it's been an absolute pleasure. We'll talk again sometime. Amazing. Likewise, PJ. Take Thanks, care, love. Week for your name. Bye. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Yeah. I think that cheered me up after a depressing old morning listening to Hall and Lorna Bogue and everyone else giving out. I just really enjoyed talking to those two lads. That's PJ and Kevin from I'm Glad Ma'am, which you can get on any one of the various platforms. And on that light, airy, and enjoyable note, thanks, Dee, thanks, Katie, and we're back in the morning just after nine. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.